This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. The debt ceiling bill that will keep the nation out of default is now on its way to the full House for a vote. The Rules Committee voted to move it to the House floor, despite fierce opposition from the far-right House Freedom Caucus. Speaker McCarthy should pull this bad bill down. Don't tell me you're going to put me over a barrel for $4 trillion because you refuse to do your job. Let me tell Director Christopher Ray right here, right now, if he misses the deadline, I am prepared to move contempt charges in Congress against him. We have jurisdiction over this. He can send us that document. We have the right to look at that. And if he does not follow through with the law, we will move contempt charges against Christopher Ray and the FBI. The U.S. Air Force just released new video showing what the Air Force calls an unnecessarily aggressive maneuver by a Chinese military pilot right in front of a U.S. aircraft. A Chinese fighter jet, J-16, intercepted a U.S. spy plane in international airspace over the South China Sea. They're calling it an unnecessarily aggressive maneuver as part of the intercept. The Erie County executive has said he expects migrants from New York City to be placed in SUNY housing in the county, most likely Buffalo State University, as soon as this week. However, Governor Kathy Hochul at the University at Buffalo Tuesday says there's no decision yet about when or even if they're coming. We needed some time to assess the viability of each location and in those communities, is it, you know, their hotels is a better option. Sayreville Councilwoman Eunice Dumfor was known as the rising star in her Republican Party. She had been married and the mom to a 12-year-old girl. Rashid Ali Bynum is facing murder and other charges for allegedly shooting and killing Sayreville Councilwoman Eunice Dumfor on February 1st. This commencement speaker did not say, vote Democrat or Donald Trump that. She's an anti-Semite. Her message was she's called for revolution. She said, fuel the fire. These are fighting words. This is a state-run, taxpayer-funded university law school. Um, if she could be seen as a state actor, I think they've got big problems here. Just a little more time is all we're asking for. Just a little more time could open closing doors. Just a little uncertainty can bring you down. Right to fight, to never surrender. 
Corey Hart, never surrender. Corey Hart, happy birthday to him, turned 61 years old today. On this, the very last day of May, 2023. That's right, folks. Tomorrow, already June 1. Here we go. May 31st, the great Corey Hart. This is uh, by far my favorite Corey Hart song, even though, Lewis, I have a feeling that you and other idiots, not that you're an idiot, by the way. Yeah, too I late. I did say other yeah, idiots. Too yeah. late. Yeah. <laughs> Sunglasses at night is probably the song that you enjoy most, blows, but this is a much better song. Blows this away. I knew you were going to say that, but you really do feel that way, don't well, you? Well, among his catalog of songs, which is countless songs that he's got. That he's got two. I think yeah, two songs. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. The, the phrase, the great Corey Hart, actually made me fall back <laughs> in my chair for a second. I had to think, well, let's see, Sunglasses at Night yeah. and this terrible song. That was a great song. Okay, it's a great song. Great right. song. You get the great Corey. Mid-1980s, Never Surrender, huge. Huge. <laughs> that's all he's got, though, is two, really? That's it? Well, you tell me. No, I can't think of another one. I don't know. I hated Sunglasses at Night, but I love this song. Anyway, it's a very, very busy Wednesday. This, and I say this every now and then, maybe often, I don't know, but I do say it. Today has the potential to be the best show this station has had in, uh, well, since my show yesterday. Oh. Yeah. And that's a long time, bro. That is. It's a lot of shows and lots of hours. That's it. Lots has happened since yesterday. Oh, so much has happened, yes. A lot has happened. And we're going to discuss all of it. Lara Trump makes her return today. I miss Lara. So what happened was we put her father-in-law on. I don't know why. Oh, maybe because he's running for president, I guess. Uh He was was on two weeks ago uh, tomorrow, Donald Trump. So we missed the two-week deal with Lara. So she's back today, and she is my favorite Trump. I love her husband. I love Eric. He's been on the show. He's terrific. I've been friends with Kimberly Guilfoyle for forever. And I like Junior, too, Donald Trump Jr., but outside of Donald, Lara is my favorite Trump, and she's back today. And a perfect day, too, because Donald Trump is on his way to Iowa, if he's not there already. Today is day one in Iowa for Trump. Yesterday, Louis guy, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, he kicked off his campaign in Iowa, said a whole bunch of stuff, you know, brushes off all of the Donald Trump fighting words. So you had DeSantis in Iowa yesterday, Donald Trump in Iowa today, and I just don't care about anybody else. Although I will say I've reached out to um, our guest booker, Sit, nice girl like her, and then the guy that uh, books guests for John Katzmatidis, John has great guests, puts on not one but two great shows, Cats and Cosby, weekdays at 5, and then his Cats Round Table show, Sunday mornings at 8. But the guy that books his guests, this guy Matt, is a waste for me. And I'm saying it on the air. Wow. A waste. Only because over the years John has said, hey, call my guy, he'll help you out. A waste. Alec has asked this guy for probably 10 guests, hasn't gotten one, not one, and all of them have been on John's show. Now, look, I don't ask John to produce my show. He doesn't ask me to produce his. We get great guests on this show. I get Donald Trump. I get Eric Adams. I get them all. But every now and then, I need one of these Republican candidates. And uh, so he went to Matt a couple of times, and he does nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. 
Is that not a fair criticism, Alec? Alec is going to pussy out here, bud. Let's He's see. afraid of everybody. Let's see. What do you think we do, he'll do? What is uh, Matt Wenning? Has he got you any guess yet that I've asked you for? Any one of them. What's um, who? Um, oh, Matt? Yeah. Um, it's, it's a very simple answer. Yes or no? Has he gotten us? I've asked you to ask him about Tim Scott, Nikki Haley. Oh, he, has, no, he, has, he, he has not gotten any of the big, uh, big names. Not no. one. No, not one. Right, not one. And does he even not. get back to you? Does he act like he even cares? It takes him a while. Um, does he uh, act like he even cares? Does he act like he even cares? Just answer know. the question. Don't repeat the question. I don't know. I'm texting him. It's hard to get a mood. It's hard to get. It's hard to gauge somebody. Does he act like he even cares? Uh, well, he's not uh, texting me any explanation points. Or, so uh, is the answer no? I guess. Thank you, you, sir. You Thank you very much. Yeah, I get off not the stage. good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Exit stage left. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't really care because these folks have no chance of winning, even competing. I don't care if it's Mike Pence, Chris Christie, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, that ass munch, Asa Hutchinson, I don't care. But, um, but you know, you got to put some uh, new voices on once in a while just to hear what they're thinking. And then uh, some of these people, I mean, how, how, you get Trump on the show, but you can't get Asa Hutchinson. <laughs> you can't make it up. Well, you can't make it up, Lewis. And DeSantis, he hasn't come on. Maybe he knows I'm a Trump guy. I don't know. You want to hear some DeSantis from yesterday? Stupid. Yeah, thank you, uh, President Trump. Here's a DeSantis in Iowa yesterday. Here he's um he's exposing the book ban hoax. Noam, did you know this is our newsroom director, who I have to say, in all seriousness, has improved our news department a thousand times, a thousand, and everybody he's hired is great. I only know one guy, James, but they're all great. You agree, Noam? Of course. Well, I hired them, so yeah, yeah. I would say it improved five thousand percent. Five thousand, almost mm-hmm. as good as Corey Hart's uh, song. No, that's, he's not as good as that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's only two anyway. Yeah. So, did you realize that uh, that's only hired that the the book ban hoax is a hoax? How so? Well, I don't know. You want to hear why? Sure. Well, I thought you would know this already. How many Ron DeSantis cuts did you play between five and six a.m.? I did not play what? any this morning. What? No. What? Zero zip. He was in Iowa yesterday. The biggest story of the day. Well, I had I had a lot of big stories, so we did not get to Ron Give me an sentence. example of a bigger story than Ron Well, we had the uh, Sayerville woman, the councilwoman who was shot and killed, a murder mystery, somewhat solved. People had been waiting you months know, for the gunman to take into custody. You know, it's funny you say somewhat solved. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure they solved it. This guy drove from Virginia to New Jersey to kill this lady, gets right back in his car, goes back to Virginia, and um, they, they've given real no explanation other than they may have been in the same church. Right. So did they really solve this? Or was there pressure to arrest somebody? And here's where black people get upset, and I understand it. They find some black guy from Virginia and arrest him. Do we know this is really the guy? Well, we won't know if it's really the guy until we hear from everybody. But the prosecutors think well, it is Well, you can't hear from her. No. Yeah. It's not going to happen, is it now? And there wasn't, it was dark. There wasn't enough eyewitnesses to really sort of figure out who he was. There's no right. pictures of the guy. That's why it took so long. That's why, that's why the whole story has me confused. Okay, what other major story did you cover that you couldn't play this? Well, of course, the, uh, the debt ceiling debate. Um, no. you know, uh, they Do you understand a, that whole thing, honestly? Uh, you know, as much as anybody else does. Yeah, no one does. That's why I'm bringing on Larry Kudlow at 840. Oh, good. Larry Kudlow, who is a genius with this stuff is going to break it down because it seems like the conservatives are mad at McCarthy. 
The Democrats are mad at Joe Biden, but nobody wants us to default. So what do you want these guys to do? I don't understand. Well, if everybody's a little bit mad, that means they probably got it right. right. Yeah. Right. So we'll talk to Cutler at 84. Okay, those are two pretty good stories. Yeah, and then you had, do you want me to keep going? Not really. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I could do the whole hour again if you'd like. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope you played the uh, the actual audio from this low-light piece of garbage trash that made that speech at the uh, CUNY Law School. Oh, we played that yesterday. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to play it there. I didn't have it yesterday. So I want her to, um, to be, uh, well, basically um, uh, blackballed. You know, there shouldn't be a law firm in this country that offers this lady a job. And, and worse than her, or as bad as her, I should say, is the dean of students. And forgive me if I'm saying her name incorrectly, but F her. Suda Seti. Is that right? Don't know. But that sounds what do you mean good. you don't know? This I, is the know, second biggest story to Ron DeSantis. Yeah, I don't. I, you know, no. I'm not positive. That Can you find right out though. for me? Yeah, sure. Suda Seti, I believe, is <laughs> Go with the, that. That works. She's the CUNY Law School dean, and she stood there and applauded as this lowlife started berating cops and Israel and our military. So she should be fired today. And I'm going to do my best, and I mean this. I'm going to make a big deal about this right through Friday. I want this lady, Seti, fired today. And I don't want to hear why we can't fire her because, because, you know, because there was somebody at Starbucks and she was late 47 times, but she won $11 million in a lawsuit. I don't want to hear it. Fire SETI today. Do you agree with me, Lou Rafino? I agree uh, 1,000%. Thank as many you. As much as Noam has improved the news department. Noam, do you agree that SETI should be fired today? I improved, uh, you know, I agree that we have improved the news department. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you don't want to fire SETI. As you know, it's not, nobody wants to hear my opinion. They want to hear your opinion. No, I want to hear your opinion. You know, I, if they want to, go See, for the, it. the sure, reason, hire, the, fire. Well, you're not even sure about it. You probably applauded, too. It's not my place to, you know, nobody wants me to weigh in on this. They want I just to asked the you to weigh in uh, on this. Coming up next, we'll ask Justin Ellis. <laughs> <and he'll be laughs> I mean, this is <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> this is an easy one. Yeah. This is like me asking, was, was Adolf Hitler a good guy or a bad guy? It was intense. I, I listened to the whole 13-minute speech, and it's very intense to listen to because I think, yeah, there was a lot of people who were nodding in agreement with her. She yeah. said all these awful things all about fired. cops and Israel. Yeah, they all be but, fired. But there was lots of people in the audience who must have been like, what the hell's going on here? Right. How's this woman able to speak like this? Any like decent American. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I pay taxes. They take $4.3 billion acuity system. you got to fire SETI today. That is the Sid Rosenberg show, the Sid and Friends show. That is our, uh, that's our job today. Get SETI fired. I want people to uh, make signs like these Democrats do when they go down to these parks for George Floyd, that lowlife. I want you to make signs, do whatever you got to do. Get SETI fired today. Do it for us. But DeSantis, who did not mention that yesterday, was in Iowa talking about his book ban hoax. So let's uh, play this one, Lewis. This is Ron DeSantis kicking off his presidential campaign in Iowa yesterday. Cut. Number 14. The media will say, if there is a book that contains hardcore pornography in a fifth grade classroom, if a parent wants that removed, that that's, quote, banning a book. And let me tell you, this is a hoax to talk about book bans. That's what they're doing. They're creating a hoax. Because you have, a, you have to make decisions about curating which books are in a library or which books are in a classroom. And of course, using your tax dollars, 
those decisions should be age-appropriate for the students involved. And so what I did, because they're talking about all this, uh, we did a press conference, and we called it Exposing the Book Ban Hoax. And before I had the parents come up, before I even said anything, we played on a video screen the images and some of the text of what the parents objected to. The local news that were covering it had to cut their feed because they said it was too graphic. Well, if it's too graphic for the 6 o'clock news, how is it okay for a 10-year-old school child? <laughs> Good question. That was uh, DeSantis, as Mike Breen would say, as he gets ready with Jeff Van Gundy and Mark, uh, Mark Jackson to call the Nuggets and the Heat. DeSantis from way downtown. Also, DeSantis... Phone travel. Yes. Also, DeSantis talked yesterday about his plans to secure the border, and he said he would do that day one. So this is Ron DeSantis on securing the border if he wins the presidency. Cut number 16, Lewis. As a Republican, uh, I'm frustrated on things like the border because I've been listening to these politicians talk about securing the border for years and years and years. But I can tell you if I'm president, this will finally be the time where we bring this issue to a conclusion. We will reestablish the sovereignty of this nation. We will declare a national emergency about the border. We'll shut the border down. We'll actually construct a border wall. We'll end mass migration and we will hold the Mexican drug cartels accountable for murdering American citizens. All right, that's all great, but I got news for you, Ron. If you did do all that, you would be the second president in the last eight years to do it because my friend Donald Trump already did all that. And finally, he did talk about COVID. You know, Trump on his social media platform, Truth Social, went after DeSantis again yesterday about COVID. And indirectly, he actually gave Andrew Cuomo credit. He said New York had less deaths than Florida, which is not true. Trump does um, every now and then just make up stuff. That's part of the frustration. So he was saying that New York under Cuomo did a better job than DeSantis. Then he talked about DeSantis closing down businesses and the beaches. And here's where Trump loses me because the truth is, is that Ron DeSantis did in the state of Florida what every state should have done. He wasn't good. He was great. Here's Ron DeSantis, how he handled COVID, cut number 17. We also pledge to usher in a reckoning for the federal government's disastrous COVID policies. From lockdowns to vax mandates to fiscal and monetary measures, the policies eroded freedom and they imposed great harms on American society. We desperately need accountability so this never happens to our country again. The lockdowns and the mandates have done incalculable damage to our country, and the effects are still with us to this very day. He's right. Again, in the car with Gene this morning driving in, there is nobody out there. There's nobody working. Oh, I work from home. You don't work. If you work from home, you don't work. I don't care if you sit in front of your computer for 10 hours. You don't work until you get up in the morning, get dressed, Brave the conditions, come winter time, take a subway or a bus. You don't work. So let's stop the nonsense. We have not come back yet.
these streets right now. I'm looking outside. We've got beautiful windows overlooking 3rd Avenue and 49th and 50th Street. There is not a soul to be found at 622 in the morning in the world's number one financial city. No, Not a soul to be found. So he's right. We have not come back, not even close. All right, Lewis. The number is always 1-800-848-WABC. 1-800-848-9222. A couple of folks already on Instagram, at Rosenberg.Sydney, at Rosenberg.Sydney, telling me they love the mood I'm in today. Not sure what that means, but could make for a long morning. And a big guest list, Norman Seabrook, Curtis Sliwa, Peter King, Lara Trump, Noam Layden, Larry Kudlow, and Arthur Idala all stopping by today. Not thanks to Matt, thanks to me, Sid Rosenberg. We'll take a short break. It's a hump day Wednesday morning with your favorite talk show in New York City. That's us, Sid and Friends, in the morning. We'll be right back. Radio 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. But you say he's just a friend. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Oi. Well, they said that Namath, who put himself on the spot by talking all week, saying how the Jets would win it, he'd have to have a perfect game, and he's had just about that. His team has fumbled only once today, and that was on a pass reception by Sauer. Namus called a heady game. He's read the Baltimore tricky, sophisticated defenses. And he has led his team beautifully. The pass to Richardson. He has the ball. The game is over. The New York Jets are the world champions. They have upset the Baltimore Colts and beat them handily here today. Nobody does it better. Makes me feel sad. Great Carly Simon, and the audio you heard there was the actual audio from Super Bowl three, long time ago, right, Joe Meningo? That was the last time the Jets even made it to a Super Bowl, let alone win. They did win. They've come close four times since, once with Richard Todd down in Miami, once with Vinny Testaverde in a loss to Denver, and twice with Mark Sanchez. And the feeling is this year with Aaron Rodgers, now with the helm, the Jets have their best chance to get back to the Super Bowl since Super Bowl three. But if you're wondering why on May 31st, 2023, we just played that, it's because the MVP of that Super Bowl, even though it should have gone to the running back, Matt Snell, the MVP of that Super Bowl, the great Jet quarterback, Joe Namath, who was on this show with me, what, less than two weeks ago, right, Del Lewis? Indeed, yeah, less. Less, less. and he was great. 
Joe Namath, you ready for this? Turns 80 years old today. Broadway Joe. Bro. 80 years old today. I didn't realize this. I'm going to ask uh, Noam Layton, who's getting a lot of airtime today. Really? Well, yeah. Passenger. Our newsroom detector. Why do these uh, things just keep popping well, up like these? Well, yeah. he could be oh, playing Oh, he's playing something. stuff. So yeah. I, I don't know that. Well, I'm not going to ask him that because he's busy doing something. Yes. But I didn't know this. I didn't realize this, I should say. Joe Namath is one of only two quarterbacks to do what? And uh, we'll leave it out there. Now nah, people don't cheat. Oh, See, with go. Google today, it's too easy. Yeah, <laughs> They could be on the air. And now, cheat. Joe Namath <laughs> is one of only two quarterbacks to win a national championship in college and then win a Super Bowl. Joe Namath won the NCAA championship at Alabama under Bear Bryant in 1964. And then, of course, 1969 won Super Bowl three with the Jets beating Don Shula and the Baltimore Colts. The only other guy to do that, Joe Montana. Joe Montana won the NCAA championship at Notre Dame in 1977 and went on to win four Super Bowls with San Francisco. So Namath and Montana. I didn't realize that, did you? It didn't It didn't sound like correct. It I, I would have thought like, there were more. I, I looked it up like three or four places. Yeah, it's true. It's But you start thinking about it, it's actually kind of a, yeah. it's tough. I mean, if you think about the greatest quarterbacks ever, Tom Brady didn't even start at Michigan. No. It was him and Henson. Starback didn't win at Navy. Terry Bradshaw didn't win in Louisiana. Uh, Johnny Unitas didn't win a college championship. No, Sims, nope. Sims was at Moorhead, Moorhead State. State. Brett Favre was at like Mississippi State or something. You think of all these uh, great quarterbacks. Peyton, did you say Peyton? Peyton did not win. win at Tennessee. He went to Tennessee, and what was funny is he didn't win. He left, and the guy that replaced him oh. won, and his name was T. Morton, who had a cup of coffee with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and that was it. So, yeah, all these great, great quarterbacks. Just two. Eli Manning, Ole Miss, never won a championship, obviously. Yeah, Troy Aikman didn't win at UCLA or Washington. Anyway, just to Joe Namath and Joe Montana, happy 80th birthday to my dear friend, and he has been for many years, the great Joe Namath. All right, we got a great guest list. I mean, a great guest list coming up. We're also going to talk to Joe Nolan doing some traffic. Right now, it's time for the weekly Tunnel to Towers update. My dear friend, the CEO of Tunnel to Towers, Frank Siller, He's going to tell us how the foundation honored our nation's fallen this past Memorial Day. Big day. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, Sid. Hey, lots of us uh, talk out there about kicking off the summer now. I mean, you know, Memorial Day, that's what a lot of people think about. Going to the beach, at barbecues, but you and I know, and the 77 WABC listeners know, the true meaning of Memorial Day, to honor the brave men and women who have given their lives in the service to our country. The Tarleton Towers Foundation's Gold Star Family Home Program honors the legacy of those who have made the ultimate sacrifice while serving our country by paying off their mortgage. Or if they don't have a home, we build them a home if they have young families. Mortgage-free. This Memorial Day, you ready for this? We delivered 30 Gold Star Mortgage-Free Homes to these great families and their that have young children. 17 states. We are so blessed to provide stability to those who have lost so much. Please, everybody, please help us in our mission 
Go to T2T.org for more information about our Gold Star Family Homes program and all the things that we do at Tunnel to Towers. So God bless you, and God bless all these great veterans who serve our country. And God bless you, too, Frank. And listen to Frank, folks. Uh, donate just $11 a month for America's heroes. Do it today at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. This is Sid on Sports. Oh, my Sponsored by Fearless Boilers on 77 WABC. Justin Alec here with your bottom of the hour sports update. Sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionsAnklist.com. Find a dealer near you. They're the world's best built boilers. Just baseball action to get to from last night. We'll jump right in here. The Mets got back up above 500 with a 2 nothing series opening win over uh, a home, at home, I should say, over the Philadelphia Phillies. The two runs on six hits were plenty for a dominant Kodai Senga. On the hill, already punching out with seven shutout innings of one-hit baseball and nine strikeouts. The Mets will see if they can keep it going in the middle game tonight at 7.10 p.m. Carlos Carrasco is set to take the hill against Phillies Aaron Nola. Now out west to Seattle, where the Yankees once again beat down on the Mariners this time by a score of 10-2. to Aaron Judge went deep for his American League leading 18th homer of the year. Greg Allen and Anthony Volpe joined the captain with long balls of their own as well, uh, complementing nicely a strong five innings on the mound for Nestor Cortez. The Yanks will go for the sweep and five straight wins tonight at 9.40 p.m. in Seattle with Clark Schmidt getting the nod against Seattle's George Kirby. Here were sports, sponsored by Pete Morgan of Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com, fun to deal in you. They're the world's best-built boilers, and I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Sid Rosenberg, Army behind me this morning. I started the show with this before we get to Norman Seabrook. If you read what you should, millions do, today's New York Post, you'll see the cover, CUNY School of Law, Law in the Service of Human Needs. Can you believe this clap? And you'll notice there's a picture of three people on the right side, this lowlife Fatifa Muhammad. Fatima, excuse me, Fatima Muhammad is the one in front. 
And then a bunch of folks on the left, two African-American people, an Asian lady. And I do that because that's what uh, media does today. They must tell you exactly who these people are. And then it goes on to read, CUNY deans applaud anti-cop, anti-Israel remarks that own trustees label hate speech. Yes, some of the trustees at CUNY have even admitted that was hate speech. So, look, this Mohammed person, hopefully there's not a law firm in the country that will hire her. I hope to God that's the case. I really mean that. I hope her whole future is destroyed. She's a kid. I don't care. She's a lowlife. But uh, they need to fire. CUNY needs to fire this morning. And I want all of you out there to send letters, set yourself on fire, do what you got to do. I don't care. They need to fire the dean of students at the CUNY Law School, Suda Seti, today. Today, fire this lady. She is applauding. She loves the speech, hating on cops, hating on Israel, hating on the Jews, hating on our own military. CUNY Law School dean Suda Seti needs to be fired today. All right, so let's get on that. All right. I got a bunch of really great guests stopping by today. My first guest was here just last Friday. You know what's ironic? I got contacted last week from a guy named Frank Dwyer, nice guy, and he works with the uh, Department of Corrections, and he said, would you like to have the commissioner, Louis Molina, on the show? And I said, yes, great. So last week, Louis Molina joined the show, and I thought he was very good. And then the day that he was on, my show ended And I saw a guy I hadn't seen in six or seven years, an old friend of mine named Norman Seabrook, who at one point was the president of the Correction Officers Benevolent Association, in fact, a long time, from 1995 to 2016, sitting by the elevator. And I was happy to see Norman. He looked great. And Norman came on the show on Friday because he worked with the DOC. And he said, you know, Sid, Lewis was good, but he was being a bit disingenuous. That was the word Norman Seabrook used on Friday. Well, if you go to today's New York Post and go to page two, it reads, Jail's big fails to quash scathing report. And the allegation is is that the Commissioner Molina, who was on me last week, went out of his way to have somebody squash five different stories that would make that department looked really bad, including the death of at least one inmate at Rikers Island. So I called Norm right back, and I said, Norm, how about coming on this morning and talking about this? So here he is, my man Norman Seabrook, on a beautiful Wednesday morning. Norman, how are you? Good morning, brother. How are you, sir? I'm doing uh, very, very well. Thank you for coming back. This is the second time in five days, which speaks to just how good you are. And the men, of course, love you when you were there for over 20 years. So you see this story. The allegation is that Molina went out of his way to contact somebody, have them quash at least five stories, making the department look bad. What do you see? I think that um, what's happening here is that no one knows what they're doing. I I don't think that uh, anyone's in charge of the ship. He can't right the ship without the right mates to do so. I mean, when you look at the way that the Department of Correction is running right now, 
Um, and I have been out of there for, for seven years now, but being out of there seven years, I've never had these types of problems over and over and over again. And I think that that's a mismanagement problem. I think that what's important here is that there is no real structure in a department. And it's very difficult for him to try to get it under control when he doesn't have boots on the ground and he doesn't have a bench to put somebody in the game to make things come together the way that they're supposed to. When you look at the facts that are present presented to us an old man 80 years old 80 years old where's he going if he wants to sit on the floor let him sit on the floor to get involved in a use of force over an old man that's 80 years old does not make any sense to to put a mental health inmate in a housing area that has a second story tier that's a problem because obviously if he has a mental health problem you wouldn't put him in a place where he could jump off the top of the tier and, and the list just goes on and on and on. And when you don't have the staff that's able to be supervised properly, these things will happen. I told correction officers for years, for years and years, do not use excessive force on an inmate. Do not do what you're not supposed to do. If he wants an extra pillow, give it to him. I don't care. At the end of the day, your job is to go home safely to your family. The inmate's job is to be there safely. When something happens, the first thing that is supposed to happen is the supervisor is supposed to be notified. Once the supervisor is notified and on the scene, then at that point, then can action be taken under the direction of the supervisor. When you allow these officers that don't don't understand the job 100% yet, and they're trying to do it, and it's based on simply uh, a knee-jerk reaction, these things will continue to happen. And as far as the commissioner is concerned, look, I, I, he's probably a nice guy. I don't know the man, but at the end of the day, you have a job to do. You have a responsibility to the public. You have a responsibility to the individuals that are in the system, that work in the system, and that visit the system. And until you straighten those things out, Land one plane at a time. Stop trying to do five things at one time because it's obviously not working. You know what uh, struck me about our conversation on Friday? And I'll get back to Molina in a second. I don't know if you know this, but you put up a uh, an Instagram post on your Instagram page at Norman Seabrook, I guess. And you put up portions of our conversation, a picture of me. It was very, very nice. Do you know who actually reposted that? No. Former New York Nick great Charles Oakley. And I'm saying to myself, wait a second. There's no way Oak, I know Oak for many years, okay? There's no way Oak was listening to me and Norman Seabrook on WABC at 925 on a Friday. So there must be a relationship between Seabrook and Oakley. Is there? Oak are very, me and Oak are very, very good friends. He's a dear friend of mine. Uh, so is Jason Williams, uh, Curtis Martin. Uh, we, are, we are very, very close uh, spiritually. And I think that's important because there's a foundation there. There's a foundation of rebuilding. Sid, when you look at the structure of the city of New York, the police department, and I said this on, I believe it was your show, uh, the police department, the correction department, the fire department, they're all uniform emergency services for the city of New York. And until you bring all three heads of that organization into one room and you give them the game plan of what you expect of them, each and every one of them, then things will begin well, to Well, let me stop you for a second, because you may have said that on uh, Bo Dito's podcast, which is a great podcast, True Crime. He did that show last week. But so that – who is the – what's the owners there? Is that the mayor? I mean, we know Sewell, of course, is a terrific commissioner for the NYPD. Kavanaugh has certainly taken her lumps 
for the FDNY, and very anecdotal, but the men that I speak to, they don't like her. They like Nigro more, and they didn't love him. So you have Sewell, you have Kavanaugh, and in this case, Louis Molina. Who uh, Who's supposed to do that? Is that the mayor? The mayor, absolutely. It's his responsibility. It's his city. Uh, he says this is his city. He says this is what the way he wants things to be done. So if he wants things to be done that way, then you have to bring them all to the table and sit them down and say, guys, this is what we're having for lunch today, and this is what we're having for dinner. And I expect the table to be set, and I expect things to be served the way that they're supposed to be served. You know, it's interesting. You said that uh, when you were there, these things didn't happen, and I believe that over 20 years. But I don't know, Nor maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just a cynic. But I believe this stuff happens all the time. I, I know uh, that the police aren't going to like this, and there's nobody more pro-cop than me, Norm. You know that, nobody. But I know guys have fudged the numbers over the year to make the administration look good. I'm sure the fire department has, you know, found a way to erase a couple of fires to make those guys look good. So I have to imagine that Lou Molina is not the first DOC commissioner to try to hide something to make sure that his department and the administration looks good. Am I being am I being uh, cynical here? Or do you think there's something to what I'm saying? There is there is something to what you're saying, but you see part of that whole uh, scene that you just you just painted for for your listening audience is that in fact things like this do happen, but not 33 hours later. Things like this do happen, but not five, one after the other, with no reporting of it. There is no accountability. When you have an incident that occurs in the New York City Department of Correction, you have a correction officer that's responsible for entering things into the logbook, into the official records of something. And if there's no supervisor to direct that person uh, on what needs to be inputted in that and the notifications to be made to the proper authorities, these things are going to happen because it becomes a thing where they don't know. So, you know, when they ask and you don't have the responsibility, you've taken away all of the uh, commanding officers. There are no more wardens in any of the facilities. They're all uh, non-uniform members, and everybody deserves a job, but every job is not for everybody. And you go around and you try to get individuals to do something, but you don't know what you're doing. This creates a bigger problem. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end of the day, when a correction officer receives or the captain or anybody else receives the proper training to do the job that is necessary to be done, things will change. You can't continue to blame the de Blasio administration for what happened yesterday. It's yours now. Yeah. You own it. No, I say the same thing it. about Biden. I mean, he continues to blame Trump years and years later. It's ridiculous. So if these allegations, Norman Seabrook, turn out to be true, if they do, I'm having a hard time believing that Louis Molina, the commissioner, is the only person that tried to hide this stuff. That's my, again, maybe I'm being a cynic, but hard to believe he's the only person who tried to hide this stuff. Hide this stuff. Do you think that's a pretty good assumption by me? Absolutely. It's a great assumption because, at, <clears throat> excuse me, at the end of the day, what has to happen is the individuals that were responsible for that uh, specific institution, that's the person that is held ultimately responsible before it got up to the commissioner's desk. Now, it's unfortunate that, you know, he came in on a Monday morning, Tuesday morning, whenever he came in and said, they just threw it on his desk, and he turned around, he said, what is this? And they turned around and said, oh, these things happened over the weekend. Oh, nothing to worry about, boss. And they walk out of his office, and then he gets hit with these things in the newspaper. Okay, I understand that, but at the end of the day, that person that gave me the paper, they need to be going out there selling newspapers right now because they won't be working for me. <laughs> 
So I get the feeling uh, we'll wrap things up right here, and you're great. You really are terrific. You've been tremendous twice in five days here. I get the feeling, Norman, and if I'm putting words in your mouth, stop me, that you're kind of saying the buck stops at the mayor's desk. Yes, Louis Molina may have allegedly done something wrong here and others uh, at that DOC, but, again, you're talking about getting Kavanaugh and Molina and Sewell inside the same office. Let's sit down. Let's talk. And that does go back to the mayor. So am I okay here? Am I putting words in your mouth if I say you believe ultimately, if this is all true, this is more about the mayor than it is Molina? Absolutely, because and you're not putting words in my mouth. The bottom line is the buck stops with the mayor. The mayor is the man ultimately responsible for the city of New York, the safety and security of not only the public, but the inmates, the officers, the civilians. Those are the people that he is responsible for outside of the police department, fire department, everything else. But he is ultimately responsible, and he has to put his foot down and say, hold on a second. Something's wrong here. People are calling for the closing of Rikers Island. We should be doing something to give them confidence that the agency is changing for the better. We should give them the confidence to know that when you come into this system, you can go home as opposed to going home in a body bag. We need to be able to make the understanding to the public that this is a job that needs training, professionalism, and courtesy at the same time. Just to repeat what you and I said Friday in wrapping up this conversation, we agree that all three groups of people, prisoners, homeless, and migrants, plenty of space, Rikers Island, why would you shut it? I know it's a couple of years away, but that's the type of place you can house all three. Yes? Absolutely. And when we spoke about this, if you remember correctly, I suggested that they take um, some of the closed facilities on Rikers Island and revamp the dormitory areas into a place for the migrants and be able to separate them from one side of the street to the other side of the street. And it can be done. It's, it's not hard to do. It's less than millions of dollars as opposed to billions of dollars of building new jails. And when you do that, look what they did. They turned around and now all of a sudden they're opening up the Lincoln uh, facility, uh, state facility that used to be on 110th Street in Manhattan, and they're going to refurbish that to put the migrants in there. So someone's listening to your show. Uh, A lot of people are listening to your show. And at the end of the day, you're making things happen in this city that would not ordinarily be happening. And people can't continue to blame yesterday on today. That's very sweet. Thank you. And if uh, all that is true, it's because of very, very smart and loyal people like you stopping by the program. So thank you for another great conversation, uh, Norman Seabrook. On the way out, uh, are you with me? I want this uh, dean of law students fired today for applauding this hateful speech by this uh, this girl at uh, CUNY a couple of weeks ago. Are you with me in my attempt to get Suda Seti fired today? Well, I think that what this woman has done is, is she set a, a fuse uh, with individuals, and you can't con- continue con- to confuse people. Um, we need law enforcement. We need community. We need people to have their own opinions. I get that, but not to fire them up to a point of destruction against each other, because at that point, we create and continue to create a divide. We can't continue to divide ourselves based on what your opinion is or mine. You could say the same thing that you want to say, but say it in a different way. And 
it's unfortunate, Sid. It really is unfortunate the way that we're just going bananas right yeah. now yeah. on certain things in this city. And one other thing before I go, how's Miss Ava? Oh, Miss Ava's doing better. Thank you. She's home, and uh, she is improving. So thank you for asking. Yeah, you're very sweet on Instagram, too. Thank you, Norman. Thank you. God bless you, my friend. God bless you. That's a terrific job, folks. There he is, my friend Norman Seabrook, and he was terrific on Friday. Great again today. And I know the left is out there, and they're the ones shutting down Rikers Island. And, you know, people say both parties are no good. Stop that, okay? Stop that. There's clearly one party that is destroying cities and states and our country. Every blue city, every blue state, blue, being destroyed by the Democrat Party. And maybe a guy like Norman Seabrook would have been able to fight it. Odds are, as great as he is, probably not. That's why elections matter, folks. Trump, 2024. Our number two of your favorite talk show in New York City. That's me. Coming up next. is Sid and Friends in the Morning, 77 WABC. So I recently told my parents that I may be a little bit romantically interested in women. And that was a big shock for them considering the past 10 years of coming out as gay, then queer, then non-binary, then trans. And I think it was just a bit of a shock. So I tell my dad and he goes, well, I would love to see you get a woman pregnant. And I said, Oh, no, no, no. She would be getting me pregnant. And then he said, what, do you have a vagina now? And I said, never say never. And then I tell my mom, and she goes, I would just love to see you own property one day. And in California, that's sort of, you know, a, a parent's dream. It's not having kids or getting married. It's, it's are you able to own a house? Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Well, you can't even make it up. You can't even make it up. Budweiser, they can't sink fast enough for me. They can't crash. And I know I'm not alone, whether I speak to Charlie Gasparino, Larry Kudlow, who joined me at 840 this morning, Monica Crowley. She'll be here 805 on Friday. This Dylan Mulvaney is such a disaster. Budweiser's taking a beating. So, after the great appearance by Norman Seabrook, and just ahead of people like Peter King, Larry Trump, and Larry Kudlow, this is the time of the day, every day now, because he's so good, that I bring Curtis Sliwa on weekdays, noon to one, all weekend long. And his wife, Nancy, who I must say is not feeling great these days, but still working very hard, finding out where the migrants will end up next. And she found that old tape, very old tape, of the now very famous Dylan Mulvaney. And that right there, Curtis should have scared the daylights out of Budweiser. Exactly. This is part of the Sliwa and Sliwa demolition team. You know how Budweiser, a major Fortune 500 company, we fully vetted out Dylan Mulvaney. This was a year ago. Nancy goes, I went on the Instagram. I go back. I'm looking at these posts. So, obviously, nobody at Budweiser vetted out this loony kazuni, this crackpot, this nut job. And now they deserve everything they get. Oh, yeah. Everything they get. Although, I will tell you this. Uh, you were promoting Aaron Rodgers, the uh, new well, Jet promoter. I'm a Giant fan, but there are Jet fans like uh, Joe Beningo, who's yeah. the best Jet fan in New York, yeah, that yeah. really believe that the Jets with Rodgers 
have a legitimate chance to go back to the Super Bowl for the first time in 55 yeah, and, years. And, and your traffic guy, Joe Nolan, he's such a brown nose, he's got his schnoz right up your tuchus. Yeah. Anyway. So do you. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, right? Where yeah. was he? He was at MetLife uh, Stadium. Was he practicing, taking snaps at midfield? No, he's with all the Swifties. He oh, was yeah. there. Taylor Swift. You know. He's the kind of guy, he graduated UCAL Berkeley. Yeah. They don't get more radical than that in Cali. It's true. He's a strange dude. I wouldn't doubt, he says, look, as part of my contractual uh, demands, I want Dylan Mulvaney on the <laughs> sidelines as my personal cheerleader. Oh, That's a California That's thing. I think he just wants to live up New York. For example, you'd never think that Aaron Rodgers would care about the New York Rangers. And he was at all those Ranger playoff games. He That's got a huge sports. ovation. That's no, no, but Taylor Swift is in town. That was the big event what that night. There were whatever, Swifties there, little girls. It doesn't matter. Whatever big event is happening in New York and or New Jersey, it seems like Aaron Rodgers wants to be He's there. no Why not? Joe Willie Namath. Come on. Come I didn't on. say he was, but the guy lived in Green Bay, Wisconsin the last 10 years. He was so in he a, comes here, he's all excited. He was in a cave for 10 days. Remember recently? Uh, uh, no, yes. I had to go to the dark side. No. This guy has he's all weird. the furniture upstairs yeah. and rearranged he's in the wrong guy. rooms. I do want to send a quick shout out. A couple of guys I did see at my gym. I work out at the New York Sports Club. Uh, two of them, really. One on 23rd and Park and one on 34th and Lex. And uh, Eduardo Pedrero, great trainer, and his client, Robert Sundheimer, listening right now. Listen every day, big bands. Hello, Eddie and Robert. Okay, so there's the Aaron Rodgers stuff. But you seem to have an issue with something I said even before that, oh, I guess. Oh, oh. First of all, you bring in Noam Layden. Yeah. Uh, you would think that he was the second coming of Edward R. Murrow and Walter Cronkite rolled into one. You know, it's funny you say that. Uh, that's exactly where I have him. I have him third, right behind those two guys. And he didn't even know what day it was. He had to ask <laughs> Justin Ellick as he did his newscast. It's today, Wednesday, right? And then he does a one-hour newscast, five to six, doesn't have one cut of DeSantis, who's my candidate in the Republican primary. Not one cut. Now, tell me that's not prejudicial. Tell me that's not newsworthy. No, listen, listen. There, he, he's, a, he's a great news guy, and he's been an unbelievable addition. Getting him back has really made, I can tell you this, the station and this show exponentially better. But he's a lib. He hates oh, Republicans. It's not just he a hates lib. DeSantis. He hates Trump. He probably hates me. He's a red diaper doper baby. He went to communist camp in Maryland. And you know who his camp counsel was? <laughs> Matt Drudge. Matt Drudge was his camp counsel. Go ahead. Have him deny that, right? <laughs> he's a tried and true. He's pink. Is that what you it know, is? A lot of reasons yeah. that he's pink. But anyway, <laughs> you couldn't even pin him down on Sudaceti. Right. If you don't want to fire the dean of CUNY law after standing up and applauding this lowlife Fatima Muhammad after her hate-filled speech graduating law school at CUNY where she took out the cops, took out the Jews, took out the military, this dean of students stood and applauded. I'll say it for the fifth time today. She should be fired today. And, yes, when I asked Noam... I think it's because he's the news guy. He needs to be somewhat neutral. But in a case like this, you got to find Well, this hold on a second. Yeah. Slowly I turn step by step. Yeah. You have a heartbeat away from becoming Speaker of the House of Representatives. Hockey Jeffrey. Oh, you love him. I despise him. I hate him. I love him. <laughs> this guy quotes Biggie Smalls from the well of the house. Yes, he did. 
And recently he was asked, you know, your uncle, Dr. Leonard Jeffries, the most virulent anti-Semite in the history of New York City. Wait a second, he's worse than Louis Farrakhan? Worse. He's the one who created the concept of ice people and sun people that Reverend Wright used. And for 10 years, Barack Obama and Michelle Obama would say, we didn't hear him say that. We were too busy saying, amen, hallelujah, amen. Sun people, ice people. No kidding. Now, you happen to be a sun person now because you have so much tan. <laughs> yeah. You could be a brother. There's no doubt about it. Right. But the rest of us McWhitey Whiteys here, <laughs> we're the ice people. Dr. Leonard Jeffries took Hakeem Jeffries to Egypt twice on tour to teach him that black people were superior and white people were the devils. And so Hakeem Jeffries wrote an editorial when he went to SUNY Binghamton. He spoke in defense of not just his uncle, Dr. Leonard Jeffries, but screwy Louis Farrakhan of the Nation of Islam. And all of a sudden, it was like it was Joe Biden. He had dementia. Well, I, I don't quite remember wow. that. Wow. You know this guy still believes that crap. Oh, 100. Listen, I don't like him. And I made fun of him that day years and years ago with Bernard, God rest his soul, when he started actually uh, singing the lyrics of Hypnotize on the Congress floor like a real moron. He remembered that, yes. but not about his uncle, I am who not hated whites and Jews. I am not surprised to hear any of this. I really believe we're being inundated these days, whether it's Jeffries and Al Sharpton, with a lot of African-American people that are racist and hate the Jews. So this does not surprise me. Right, no. but Dr. Leonard Jeffries was head of black studies throughout the City University of New York. Wow. It took... Rudy Giuliani to get him out of there with the help of Herman Badillo that was appointed to the CUNY board. Badillo went to war against Dr. Leonard Jeffries, and they called him a race traitor. Oh, you kiss white butt. Your guy, Eric Adams, said about Herman Badillo, the great Puerto Rican congressman, great legislature. Why did you marry a white woman, a white Jew? Huh? Who said this? Your friend. No, 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 no. Yeah, look it up. I, no, I, I have to see Irma, it. Irma, a great woman, was no. side by side and unfortunately had dementia herself. No. And do you know that Herman Badillo would go home every day to take care of her? Udiscrazia, Eric Adams. <laughs> you need to apologize for that. Well, I did yell at Eric Adams weeks and weeks ago. He was doing a Sunday morning show. Was it WBLS? Of, of course, yeah. inner city broadcasting, yeah, right? Right. Those, so they had people, them on. Those, those people have their complexion, which is right in line with yeah. his complexion. Of course. So he speaks black there, and he speaks white with you. He does, but on that show that day, he was on specifically to talk about the lawyer Maddox, the guy that, of course, uh, was employed without Sharpton in the Tawana Brawley case. And he went on to go on and on about what a great lawyer, what a terrific man. I mean, this guy was involved in one of the skeeviest, most disgusting hoaxes, talking about Donald Trump, hoaxes in the history of this city. And I actually said something to Eric about that that day. So all these guys seem to, you know, they, they forget history. I don't know what it is. No, no, no. It's like they view you as a cracker sucker. No, they don't. Yes, they do. No, they don't. Let me tell you something. Uh, what did he say years later after he left the police department as a house mouse, which meant he was only in the precinct? He said, I kicked those crackers' asses, and the crowd gave him a standing ovation. Well, I was a cop. You think he thinks any differently? He plays you like a Duncan yo-yo. Well, he, he puts you to sleep. He walks the dog. He said, I got it like this. Watch, I got my homie here, my white friend, Sid Rosenberg. And then he probably walks away and says, 
I got that. Uh, oh, excuse me. Is Charlemagne the God on the line? <laughs> My favorite morning program. How no, many no, times? no. He has said in, in press conferences in front of the whole city, the Daily News actually reported it, that I am his favorite Oh, host. yeah, while yes. you were feeding the illegal aliens well, on Wednesday fine. night. Well, it was a homeless, not oh, the illegal excuse, aliens. No, they were the illegal <laughs> aliens. <laughs> well, I can tell you this. Yesterday, I took the four train at about uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I texted just two people, you and Adams. Yes. And I was on the way to work out at the gym talking about uh, Sundheimer and Pedrero. And I get to the, to the uh, platform on Fulton, and there's a human-sized cardboard cutout of Mayor Eric Adams. And I can see there are tourists. How do I know that? Because they wear those stupid Statue of Liberty hats. You know what I'm talking about? Of course. You mean you actually found tourists? Tons. Wait a second. I don't know where they are because this city, as you pointed out when you opened up the show, is empty. Down by me. of emptiness. I know, but down by me, by Brookfield Plaza and all that, that's where they are. So they're all taking pictures with the mayor. So I send you and the mayor the cardboard cutout. You go, ah, ha, ha, ha. I guess he's not such a blue-collar guy. He says, and I quote, that can't be me. I would never wear that suit and or that tie. Oh, please. That was a $5,000 customized suit. Just like, um, you know who used to have that? Pablo Escobar used to fly in tailors to make him uh, customized suits that were of of the same quality. Joseph Abud, you don't stand a chance <laughs> with what Eric Adams did. Where did he get the money? Maybe Frank Caron gave him $350,000 to buy his wardrobe. What is Frank Caron, my friend, the only know person that. he knows? Come on, what, everybody the only knows person that. He knows? How could Eric Adams afford $5,000 customized suits every day? I mean, you, you, you're a smart guy. You're no. a street guy. Right. Why don't you ask him, how do you afford this kind of he wardrobe? Made, he made some very good investments. He's got Bitcoin. Bitcoin. <laughs> he doesn't talk about that anymore, right? <laughs> Pay me in Bitcoin, right? That lasted all the three pay cycles, right? Whatever happened to Bitcoin? Oh, Louis, how Blockchain. am I doing here? How am oh, I doing? my God. How am I doing defending Crypto the mayor here? You know, we had a program the other <laughs> day good. at 4 o'clock. I had to listen to that on my way back from the Little Neck Douglaston parade after I used Peter King's name to bum rush the line and actually walk with Nassau County. And all of a sudden, I'm listening, and we're airing a program promoting that Bitcoin, that blockchain, that cryptocurrency, the ripoff of all time. I said to myself, right away I got on the phone. I said, hey, what the hell is going on here? We're running infomercials. Oh, because it's the Memorial Day weekend, and you think the cat's away so the mice could play. Well, maybe John Katsimatidis didn't hear it, but Curtis Lee will listen and drop dime and said, never, ever again. You don't ever violate our airtime. You don't ever put on an infomercial that promotes white-collar criminality. You know what Bitcoin is? It's crime coin. Blockchain, waste your money and give it to those thugs, white-collar thugs in Puerto Rico who have a tax shelter and cryptocurrency. That is a Ponzi scheme and a scam. Never again on WABC over my dead body. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC.
little kick-ass Steph Leopard for you. Photograph at 7.30 on your beautiful hump day Wednesday morning. Mark on the uh, number one morning show in New York. That's me. You can catch me uh, tomorrow afternoon at 4 o'clock with Corton and Roberts on the fan. I'll be talking about a whole bunch of cool stuff. 4 p.m. tomorrow, FAN with Craig and Evan. And you can catch me Friday night on television in the 7 o'clock hour, making my regularly scheduled appearance with the great Jesse Waters. Jesse Waters primetime. And I read all these stories about the TV ratings wars and the guys across the street making some headway. And I know Eric Bowling is doing well. He's got good guests. You know, Bowling, for example, last night had Tim Scott and Nikki Haley and all the losers, not Trump or DeSantis, but all the ones that are going to lose. Fine people, mind you, not losers in that respect. But um, Waters is good for like 2.6, 2.7 million a night. He is still killing it. And I would imagine that at some point Fox News will reshuffle their primetime lineup because since Tucker left, it's been a mess and give Jesse a primetime slot. I think ultimately Jesse is more entertaining than Sean and Laura. But we'll see. Either way, I'm back on Waters coming up tomorrow night. Talking about entertainment, remember this uh, guy, James Vanderbeek? James was the star of that show, Dawson's Creek. And I used to love that show. Loved it. There's some good actors on that show. Who was on a Dawson's Creek, Lewis? Let's Katie see. Holmes. Very good. Tom Cruise's ex-wife, Katie Holmes. Went out with... Um... Corey Hart, I think, for a little while. That's true, yes. <laughs> Such an idiot. Joshua Jackson. And there's a there was a girl on that show who's gone on to, like, win and be nominated for Academy Awards. Her name is Michelle Williams. And you don't know what happened at the end, do you? She was married to Heath Ledger. Oh, I'm talking about the The end guy who Dawson. played the Joker, Batman, he died. Uh, no, what happened at the end? Dawson's Creek. No, what happened? She didn't make it. She died. Yes. Yeah, much like Heath Ledger, her husband in real life. Yeah, that's yeah. tragic. So Vanderbeek uh, is out there talking yesterday, and it turns out, I guess, you know, Trump has been saying, I'm not going to have debates during the primary. Why should I debate? I'm killing DeSantis. And I think that's a bad move. I do. Because if he's beating DeSantis, he'll beat him by twice as much if he debates him. Because nobody, and I mean nobody, can compete with Trump on the stage. That's the bottom line. Bo, you can talk to your blue in the face, Peter. Trump will annihilate him and everybody else. But the Democrats, they're not doing it either. Joe Biden's like, nah, because, you know, the Kennedy kid, he wants to debate Joe Biden. And Biden's like, nah, I got a big lead. I'm not going to do it. You know who did that, too, was this witch, Kathy Hochul. I'm going to beg this uh, lady to finally give Lee Zeldin one debate. And if you watched it, he beat her like Mancini beat Dooku Kim. And that's why she didn't do another one. He destroyed her destroyed her. She still won because New York is a state full of morons. But uh, these people can't debate, so they don't do them. And they say, oh, I got a big lead. I don't want to. Not in Trump's case, obviously. So Vanderbeek from uh, Dawson's Creek is out there yesterday, and he's saying, come on, man. The process, we're a democracy. you got to debate. Here's uh, James Vanderbeek. It's early in the morning on Memorial Day. I'm walking my dogs, pulling a weight sled with my kid in it, and I am cannot get over the fact that the Democratic National Committee is saying there will not be a debate to decide the nominee for president. Are you kidding me? There's no debate. There's no debate over an 80-year-old man 
who, if he lives, will be the oldest sitting president in the history of the country. And if he doesn't live, has a vice president whose approval rating is worse than his. This guy is obviously declining mental faculties. You're putting him up in front of a podium with flashcards telling him who to call on and what the questions are going to be. And you're telling us there's no debate? What about the will of the people? <laughs> and I, no, that's just not even the will of the people. What about the will of the people who voted for the guy last time? Because of those people, 72% think there ought to be a debate of the people who voted for Biden last election. 72% want a debate. So the DNC is openly ignoring, bypassing the will of the people. Why? This was a democracy of the people, by the people, for the people. If we don't have a debate, this is not a democracy by the people. It's a democracy by them. For <laughs> who? Big banks, big business, big business, big tech, big pharma, big government, big whatever. I mean, what the hell? How is this a democracy? So this is, again, James Vanderbeek, the star of that very popular show many, many years ago, Dawson's Creek. He also played a quarterback. Today is Joe Namath's 80th birthday in the movie Varsity Blues, if you remember that. So he clearly is a Democrat, and he voted for Biden. He's one of those 72%, I guess, that wants to see Biden debate. But he's also quick to admit that Biden, who will be 82 years old by the time this next election happens, is a mess. Now, he thinks it's physical. That's fine. I think it's more that Biden is corrupt and a bad guy than it is a cognitive issue. Both, but more that he's a bad guy. But here's some more. James Vanderbeek, star of Dawson's Creek and Varsity Blues, ripping the Democrats. And how is anybody in the DNC right today going to post about thanking our troops and thanking the families who have made the ultimate sacrifice to preserve our democracy and our way of freedom. Now, listen, I am grateful for them, but any member of the DNC who's going to think about posting that today, stop, think, and do your f***ing job before you start posting about how grateful you are that there are people out there who are willing to die to preserve democracy, because you are not preserving democracy right now. You're shoehorning your pick and forcing it on the rest of us. And don't tell me that the other candidates aren't serious, because one of them is polling at 7%. The other one is at 19%. That is a quarter of the vote who already thinks there's, at the very least, some debate about who ought to be president. There's no debate. There's no democracy. No primary, no legitimate president. So thank you to all the troops. Thank you to the families who have made the ultimate sacrifice to preserve our way of life, to preserve our democracy. Let's all do our part. We need a debate. How do we have a government? How do we have a democracy? If we're letting a small little back room of people make all the important decisions for us. That's not a democracy. And it doesn't work. Because y'all have been wrong about a lot these last couple of years in that back room. No debate, no democracy. And I could be wrong. That's the thing. I could be wrong about all this. I could be wrong about the guy being fit for the job. I could be wrong about the other people being right, being legitimate, being crazy. You know what would solve that? A debate. Have a debate. Happy Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day. James Vanderbeek, the actor. And he lives in a beautiful place. I saw this video. It's on Instagram. And uh, he's, you know, he's got a bunch of razor stubble, and he's out there, and he's walking the dogs, and you see beautiful flowers behind him. You heard the birds chirping in the background. He's living 
A great life. Yeah, but catch your breath before you. I know. Do a All he's doing minute, is walking minute minute dogs. Right. I know. You, you take a crazy. seat and then do your. <laughs> right. Exactly. You think he Sit ran down. like Danielle twenty six miles? What are you trying to prove going out there doing? But that I did like what he that. said. Yeah. I did like what he said. This, so. this country is. I'd like. <laughs> I started to come together. I'd like. I, you well, you know who does the same thing, but he actually runs. He's got an excuse every day. Is Grand Stinchfield? Yeah, Grand. The former yeah, yeah. Uh, course of street host, but he's like a, he's like a known hardo, right? I know, like, and he's like, he's like running. Right. <laughs> Vanderbeek's got like a man bun, and yeah. he's running around, and he's out of breath. Man with like... bun. Ah, leave him alone. He said he said all the right things. In some so. civilizations, a man bun. In some civilizations, it's a sign of really. <laughs> I love you, Justin Ellick. All right, we've got uh, Joe Nolan with traffic, and then uh, nice little Tuper with Peter King and Larry Trump, my favorite Trump after Donald Larry Trump. They're all coming up next. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. So Peter King, this poor bastard, one of the greatest politicians, him and Giuliani, maybe the two best ever in the history of New York. Like 40 years, a tremendous congressman out on Long Island and Homeland Security and kept Long Island safe, New York safe, and the country safe, and then got tons of money for all of our um, 9-11 people that have died along the way. By the way, one quick uh, shout-out here. Are uh, the guys at Rightway Demolition, Joe Tramatulo and John and Mike? Uh, they're listening. They love the show. So good morning, Joe. So Peter does all these uh, great things, you know. And um, as if that's not enough, now that he left office, he's great on the radio and TV. I see him across the street. He's great, great on the radio. People love when Pete King is on with me every Wednesday. So initially he was on seven forty, and then uh, Justin Ellick. Moved them to 8.40. Justin did. And uh, now lately, every time a guest comes on, that Justin deems a bigger name in the ultimate show of disrespect, he puts Peter King back to 7.40. And I think he's done it now three times in the last month. It could be three times in a row, actually. Well, might, it's definitely at least two weeks in a row. No, but why do you do this? Uh, I feel really a, bad about it, and it's I, not. A, I, and this time around, it was actually an accident. You think right? that you know, Larry Kudlow's a better guy? No, than I made a mistake, and I don't. No. And it's hard enough to get Larry to answer me. Right. So once Harry, Larry, I should no. say, even go with said, Harry. Yeah, I like Harry Kudlow better. <laughs> go with Harry. Yeah, but once he just said yes, I was like, yeah. all right, I'm taking it. You know. No. Even though I knew I'd made a mistake, I'm like, I gotta take it. No, no, I gotta deal with Pete. Yeah, but it's actually, a it's actually a compliment because Pete is such a great guy yeah. that I know he's gonna be okay with it. I think he wants you to die to be he might, he might, yeah. he might. Uh, here he is, the great congressman, Peter King. Hello, Pete. I, I, I have nothing to say to you guys, especially that uh, bastard uh, <laughs> I mean, oh, I mean, How long can he oh, get away with God, that mistake? It's a mistake. I mean, oh. he's, he's the worst. I mean, Justin Ellick, he, he's worse than Curtis Sliwa. Oh. Well, well, wait till you hear this. Oh, oh, I'm glad you brought up Curtis Sliwa 
because on Monday there was this beautiful Memorial Day parade in your neck of the woods in Little Neck, Douglaston. So Sliwa Pete shows up, and they won't let him in. So this is a true story. He goes, Peter King sent me, and they let him in, and they let him in. <laughs> Curtis, Curtis, thank God Curtis is one of a kind. I tell you. He's, uh, but what's this thing? He's got me involved in the fight with John Gotti Jr. in his corner or something. Uh, yes, yes. You're going to be, it's going to be, uh, you're going to be in the, you're, you're the cut man. I'm going to be okay. there. Takapina, his attorney, and uh, there's a few Bo? others. Yeah. You okay with that? How about Bo? Bo, of course Bo was in there, of course. Okay. You're, you're good with it? Yeah, listen, if, you know, if that keeps Curtis quiet and leaves him away from me, <laughs> fine, yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe the uh, the grandson will finish the job that the father couldn't do. Uh, yeah, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, by the way, seriously, is Curtis paying rent yet? I mean, is John Casabatini sent him a rent bill? I don't I mean, think so. Lives, lives there. Lives there. My oh. God, he's just there. He's a very dedicated. down food and very, de- very dedicated. Yes, he loves the job. <laughs> hey, he's been doing a good job, Pete. And in all seriousness, him and uh, his wife Nancy not feeling great these not days, sure. and we wish her the best of luck. But you know, some of this stuff hasn't happened, and that pisses off people like Joe and Ariola, maybe, or people on Staten Island. But at least he's out there trying because, you know, you know, Pete, this migrant situation has become absolutely unbearable. No, it really has. By the way, yesterday I was at a, a golf tournament with Bruce Blakeman. He came up to me, told me how he and Curtis are friends now and how, you know, Bruce is, is definitely fighting hard to keep migrants out. And I think Curtis finally acknowledges that. But anyway, he ran. By the way, Curtis, I, now, now that you mentioned um, Bruce Blakeman, I got to stop you because I love him because I have to tell you that I, even though I live in Queens, and I uh, work in the city. Danielle, as you know, works in Garden City, very, very close there in Nassau County. We are so excited about this potential casino at the uh, home of the Islanders, the Nassau Coliseum. And if it goes through, Bruce Blakeman did a lot of the heavy lifting, and that is going to be great for Nassau County. So congratulations to the aforementioned Bruce Blakeman. Yeah, Bruce is doing a great job, and uh, he shows he can get things done. I mean, he got that through the uh – County legislature on a 17 to 1 vote. And that's a, that can be a volatile issue. Partisanship is everywhere today. To get that much of a bipartisan vote shows that Bruce is on the job. He's getting things done. And he is keeping the migrants out. I mean, even as far, you know, I'm actually, I'm actually going to speak. You'll love this, Peter. Tomorrow night, a guy contacted me by the name of Bobby Hartman. And uh, Bobby runs a place called Mainstream House, which is a rehab out in uh, Riverhead, all the way out, I guess. Right. And I'm going to speak there tomorrow night to uh, to folks and hopefully give these uh, young people struggling with addiction the hope and inspiration they can end up uh, like me, right? I'm a guy that struggled my whole life, and things are going well. So I'm going to be all, all the way out there on Riverhead, and that was the last place we heard on Long Island, Peter. They were thinking about sending these migrants, and that county executive, that lady stepped up. Yeah, yeah that was the town supervisor, and then after that, Steve Ballone, the county executive, weighed in. Also, Kevin McCaffrey, who's head of the Suffolk County Legislature, he's also pushing legislation. Listen, nobody's anti-immigrant or anything else. You, you and I know that. But you can't be having this mass infusion of people coming in illegally, foisting them on, on communities, communities that are still recovering from COVID, where people are still out of work, people are still trying to get themselves going. And suddenly you have, like in the city, 40,000, 50,000 people. By the way, speaking of the city, let me put in a good word for your friend Eric Adams, not that I have to. But I had texted him the other day about that, that horrible woman who spoke at the CUNY Law School yeah. uh, 
graduation, and yep. Eric Adams got back to me right away how terrible this is, how he's against it. And, you know, it's easy for you and I to uh, criticize uh, you know, speakers like that. But when you're in the Democratic Party today, I mean, uh, Eric Adams is really among a pack of uh, vultures in there. And for him to speak out the way he does, he, he really deserves more credit than some. No, you don't. But, but don't forget. But but don't forget. He's a victim of this too because he went to speak at one of these uh, commencements, and right. the students turned their backs on him. Yep. And right. when he mentioned the fact he was a cop for twenty-two years, they actually booed the mayor. Right. So he's he's a personal victim in this same thing. Yep. And that's what I've been saying all morning long. The 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 girl that delivered that speech. I hope she never works ever. Her name is Fatima Muhammad. But the person I want fired today, Pete, I need you with me on this, is the CUNY Law School dean. Her name is Suda Setty, S-E-T-T-Y. They need to fire that lady today. She applauded the whole speech. Uh, uh, absolute disgrace. Uh, absolute disgrace. Imagine if you had anybody up there saying you're worried about white supremacy and one person in the audience was seen applauding. My God, there'd be a federal investigation. The FBI would be in. Uh, the Justice Department would be in. But here you have a dean of a law school. A dean of a law school applauding racism and bigotry. It's ab- absolutely shameful. Really, it shows how far down we've gone. It really has. We, we, we tell you, your good people have to start fighting back. They really do. Agreed. So uh, Kevin McCarthy and Joe Biden getting, uh, I guess, very, very close to a deal here. Conservatives don't like it. They want to push Kevin McCarthy out. Democrats don't like it either. I'm not sure in this type of thing. And we'll talk to Cudlow coming up at 840. You could ever make really both sides happy. But as a guy that uh, was on a lot of committees for Republicans for many, many years, how do you think Kevin McCarthy did here? And because there's a contention from a guy like Ron DeSantis that says, we're nowhere further from bankruptcy than we were two weeks ago. What are your thoughts on McCarthy and this potential deal? No, I think Kevin actually did the best he could. Remember, the Democrats control the Senate. The Democrats uh, obviously control the presidency. And Kevin only has a four-vote margin in the House. With that, he got concessions. I mean, he really had very few cards to play other than shutting down the entire economy, which could be uh, terrible. I, I think, uh, again, I give Kevin credit. And when you say conservatives, again, conservatives like Stephen Moore, Newt Gingrich, Wall Street Journal, New York Post, we get down the line, are all supporting and saying, no, listen, there's a million things in that final package that we were opposed to. But if Kevin hadn't gotten involved, there'd be nothing in there we can support. I mean, he did a good job getting what he could, and he, he held the fight. And uh, the fact that so many Democrats are so angry, to me, is a good sign. And it's easy to be on the outside and just criticize. When you're in the war, when you're in the struggle, and all the odds are against you, Remember, up until 10 days ago, Joe Biden wouldn't even negotiate. And, uh, again, Kevin had very few cards to play, but he played them well. I, I give him credit. I mean, I haven't always supported Kevin on different issues. But the fact is, he is a hard worker. And I don't know how anyone could have gotten a better deal on that. And these guys say, well, you know, we should have gotten this, we shouldn't have gotten that. How do you get that done? He used yep. whatever leverage he had. Yep. He parlayed that as best he could. So I, I give him credit, which is why uh, solid, I think a solid majority of Republicans will support it. And people have been there. You know, Newt Gingrich was the speaker. He knows how tough it is to negotiate. And he was negotiating uh, with Bill Clinton when Newt Gingrich had like a 30-vote margin. Kevin has a four-vote margin, and one of those is George Santos. So, I mean, he really is uh, – yeah. he, he, he had the odds stacked against him. I think he did a good job. We should claim victory when we can and then go on and fight another day. Don't be shooting ourselves and killing ourselves 
in a circular firing squad. Well, you're right. And, of course, it's the usual suspects. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, Chip Roy, the same right. folks that bitch and complain about everything all the time. So uh, on the way out here, again, this is uh, Pete King. The Republicans making their way to Iowa. Ron DeSantis there yesterday making his official presidential announcement. Uh, my guy, Donald Trump. He'll be there today. In fact, his daughter-in-law, Laura Trump, will join me in right. about nine minutes. So big week, Republicans in Iowa. What are you taking away from this? I think it's going to be up to DeSantis to show that he can play in the big leagues. I mean, up till now, uh, he hasn't been able to excite people. I mean, Donald Trump, whether people agree with him or disagree with him, he excites the whole room. When Ron DeSantis comes in, so far he's been very, like, methodical. I saw him when he spoke in this county. He was good enough, but nobody in the room got excited. I mean, he was there. He was promoting his book, but all he spoke about was Florida. He's got to he's got to be able to, uh, uh, to tap into nerves. He's got to be able to electrify a crowd and show more of a personality. If he can do that, I do think he has a good shot because I think, and I know I'm sure Larry Trump will disagree. But I think all of these things piling up against Donald Trump can hurt him going toward the nomination. I know it fills up his base, but it also starts to wear people out. And if DeSantis is really a good alternative, then there's, there's a transfer on DeSantis. But up till now. He really hasn't shown that kind of. Well, what do you need to see? I mean, I mean, look, he's talked about what he did well in Florida, you know, in, in a country that's got uh, trillions and trillions in deficit. He ran a multi-billion-dollar surplus. Right. He talked about how he kept everything open, did a great job with COVID. You know, he did all these things down in Florida. But what do you what do you need to see more? I hear this what you're saying all the time. It, it does it really come down to? Is it as simple as I want to see Ron DeSantis punch Donald Trump across the face verbally? I think he has to show he's a fighter. I mean, he has to be able to score points against Donald Trump without, like, uh, you know, banging him over the head with a baseball bat. He's got to show that he can score points, that he can get in the ring with him. But, I mean, also he has to start to identify with people. I'll give you one quick example. Lincoln in Nassau County, to speak at the Cradle of Aviation Museum, Bruce Blakeman and Joe Cairo, they had a capacity crowd, incredible turnout. They had everything there. When he got up on the stage, and he had met them beforehand, and they were talking, he never mentioned either one of their names. Now, they're not oh, looking for the ego. Oh, you're going to speak to me. You're, hey, yeah. I know Sid Rosenberg. I right. know Paul right. King and Rocco. Right? People right. identify with that. Right. He said he got up, and he started giving facts and figures about the you know, gross domestic product in Florida. Right. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. he seems to be unable to you know, uh, go off script. I thought with Donald Trump, he spends the first 20 minutes before he even gets to the speech, talking about everybody in the audience, praising some, insulting others, you know. Telling jokes, the whole... It's true. Ron uh, understands has to get more of that, I think. You're right. He'd be going, oh, there's number one Sid. He's fantastic. I did his radio no, show no, two weeks ago. Now, you'll hear what he says behind your back. He says that <laughs> Sid and Justin Ellick are the two people he can't trust. <laughs> That's probably way, true. I want, I want Justin Ellick to do that to Donald Trump the next time he's on. All right, him an hour earlier, or Fine. an hour late. All right, I will make sure, because I love you so I'm much. I'm not doing that. Yes, the next time Trump wants a time, no matter what day of the week it is, you push him an hour forward and invite Peter King. <laughs> you want me to do that to the yeah. president of the United States? I would do it to Biden in two. I would do it to Biden in two seconds, but not Trump. Biden wouldn't remember. Yeah. Hey, Pete, we uh, we love you. Another great, 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 great appearance. No, Thank you, you for helping us. How's your daughter doing, Seth? Thank you for asking. She's home. She's um, she's doing better, but uh, far from out of the woods. So. She, uh, wow. But we're, uh, we're going to take care of her. She'll be okay. Everything she's experiencing right now is going away. There's nothing that's going to plague her the rest of her life. But at least right now, it's not a lot of fun. So she'll be all right. Well, good luck on that. Uh, I love you. Thank you, Peter. Thank you so much. Okay, Sid. Thank take you. Care. There he Bye. is. A great congressman. Does a tremendous job on this program. Whether it's 840 or 740 every Wednesday morning. 
my friend Peter King. What a heck of a two hours, huh, folks? My God. Norman Seabrook, Curtis Sliwa, Peter King. A lot more to do. Lara Trump, Larry Kudlow, and Arthur Idala. Oh, baby. Wednesday morning with me, Sid. In the morning, 77 WABC. Nothing so loud. Hearing when we lie. Truth is not kind. And you said neither am I. As we start hour three of New York's favorite talk show, and quite frankly, the best talk show in America. I feel like, uh, Lou and Justin, you played that President Trump promo because Lara's on the phone. I don't think I've heard that in a couple of days. So. I think. Could I ask for that? Coincidence. <laughs> yeah. Major coincidence. I like when Trump says, you are number one, you're fantastic, you're a good friend, and all that stuff. It's, Hello, it's, Sid. Hello, Sid. Hello, Sid. It was a, a great 18-minute conversation two weeks ago tomorrow. Hopefully he'll be back soon. He's busy. He's on his way to Iowa. And I love Trump. He's my guy. But he's still not my favorite Trump. He's not. It's Lara. And she hasn't been on in a couple of weeks because he was on. You know, he's running for president. It's kind of a big deal, but. I'm actually glad Lara's back today because I missed her. Here she is, the wife of Eric, the daughter-in-law, the great Lara Trump. Good morning, Lara. Welcome back. I missed you. Good morning. you got to break us Trumps up a little bit. Like You can't have us back-to-back. It's like we come in a little too hot for people sometimes, Sid, you know. <laughs> so we'll do you today. We'll get uh, Donald back in two weeks, and then we'll put your – by the way, your husband was fantastic a couple of weeks ago. I loved Eric. Oh, he's he was pretty great. good. Yeah, he's, he's great. He's pretty good, Eric Trump. Don't sleep on him either. We're, we all have our own little uh, little way about us. But uh, And by the way, can I just say literally no one ever taught us how to do any of this. We all just talk from the heart. We speak what we feel and, and, and tell it like we see it. So that's how we do it here in the Trump family. Well, let me make this about me, if you don't mind, for a second, Lara, because there's a lot of similarities. <laughs> I, uh, I never <laughs> took a communications class in my life. I never studied broadcasting in college. I went down to Boca Raton to go to rehab in the late 1990s, ended up getting a job at a sports Internet company, and somehow I parlayed that into this. My point is, whether it's me or you or your father-in-law, People who do speak from the heart, people who are smart, and people who can inspire other people are the ones that are the best at this, which is exactly what you are. 
Oh, well, I appreciate it. And by the way, can I just say, and only in the United States of America. <laughs> yes. To quote uh, the great Don King, I used to drive home on Palmetto Park Road, Lara, right there in uh, 95, and he had this huge office, and it said, Don King, only in America. And there that is go. the beauty. There yes. Yeah. So uh, talking about uh, traveling, your father-in-law is on the way, if he's not there already. Iowa this morning, DeSantis was there yesterday. And, and again, uh, no disrespect to Tim Scott or Nikki Haley or... The rest of these folks, it seems like this is a two-man race. And right now, your father-in-law has a huge lead. What do, you, uh, what do you think as he goes to Iowa? What's he looking to accomplish in Iowa the next couple of days? Yeah, um, well, it is a huge lead. And um, I, I think, look, there are a lot of people who say it's no question Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee. But, you know, he wants to get out there and, and fight for it and work for it and remind people why he was such a great president about the things that he accomplished his first term in office because unfortunately i mean we've all just been smacked over the head uh with this you know terrible situation we're in now with joe biden as president and for so many of us i I think it feels like ages ago that life was actually working here in america well it was about two and a half years ago when donald trump was president so he wants to get out there and remind people of his track record but also talk about of course his future plans for this country. And after he gets things back uh, on track here in this country, the great things he still wants to accomplish. You know, two and a half years ago, we weren't talking about the fact that parents feel like they're losing their rights all across this country. That, you know, when you talk about what your kid learns in school, we should have a say in it. That is front of people's minds right now, especially for people like me who have young kids in school. It is a big concern. Those are things that have changed in this country in a very frightening way, and we need to start talking about them. We need to have solutions for them. Um, and so I think you're going to hear a lot of those sorts of things from my father-in-law and I was today. You know, uh, you and I, when we first uh, started doing this, going back maybe even more than three months ago, I would say, hey, Lara, why is your father-in-law all over Ron DeSantis, the governor of the state you, Eric, and the children live in? And, you know, you, you didn't really argue. You're like, well, you know, he's there's a method to his madness. He knows what he's doing. But it almost sounded to me like you're in agreement with me. Like, I'm not even sure why he's doing that. But I have to tell you, there was a method to his madness because he's killing them. And now that they're both in Iowa, and now that it's official, again, yesterday on Truth Social, ah, he screwed up COVID, he did this, he did that. So I'll give you credit. You said that day, quote, there's a method to his madness. And at least up to this point, it's worked against DeSantis. Now the question is, will it continue to work? And do you feel like, Lara, DeSantis has the guts to fight back. Well, I think he'll try to fight back. I mean, the interesting thing with Ron DeSantis, and I think we talked about this before, is prior to Donald Trump coming and campaigning for him in the state of Florida for governor, I mean, Ron DeSantis was really far behind. Andrew Gillum, don't forget, was running a very tight race with DeSantis to become governor of the state of Florida. And so it was really Donald Trump who made DeSantis. So I think he knows he walks a bit of a fine line with my father-in-law. And let's face it, no one can punch quite like Donald Trump. And and so I don't know that DeSantis really wants to get into that, if he can help it. I think he's trying to kind of skirt around my father-in-law in any way possible. But, yes, look, we all knew, Sid, that Ron DeSantis was going to run for president. I mean, my goodness, for about a year now, right. he's basically been running for president without saying He's running for president. Why else is he all over the world on a world tour other than if this is something he had in mind? And so, you know, my father-in-law saw it. He knew what was going to happen. And you can say a lot of things about Donald Trump. 
but he is a fighter. He has passion. He has fire. And it is that same passion and fire that made him the great president we saw for four years in the Oval Office. And it is that same passion and fire we desperately need to get this country back, to get things back on track here in America. We have no time to waste. It's going to take somebody like that who's a fighter. He's going to take that fight now for the country as he becomes the 47th president of America. Couldn't agree more. When he uh, left office, I was sad, and it's gotten a lot worse. And, and look, there's people out there that you know, know your father-in-law, been friendly over the years, some New Yorkers, famous names that you would know, that say, look, I love Trump's policies. You're right, that got DeSantis where he is today. He's basically just stolen all your father-in-law's policies, that's all. But he doesn't have all the issues. So, you know, Donald Trump's in court, it seems like, every week. Five cases, six cases, seven cases. And there's a percentage of people that think that that will be his downfall, that even if he doesn't go to prison or any of this really happens, that just the cumulative effect, Lara, of all these lawsuits eventually will take him down. I don't feel that way. I think it actually energizes your father-in-law. But there are folks who like him that go, this is going to be his downfall. What would you say to them? Well, look, if it hasn't taken Donald Trump down now, believe me, it will not. And, and people have to remember, too, the reason all of this is happening to Donald Trump, he is still an outsider, despite the fact that he was president of the United States for four years. He still doesn't like to consider himself a politician. And remember, he was the only person who said, I will not be taking any money from uh, donors in any way until I become the Republican nominee in 2016. He has never taken money from lobbyists, from special interest groups. He doesn't need the backing of the establishment. People like Ron DeSantis do. And so when you think about someone going into the White House and actually standing up for what we as the American people want and need right now, you want someone who is beholden only to the American people, not to the establishment. And quite frankly, Ron DeSantis can't win without the establishment. It's Donald Trump. And the reason that he is attacked so viciously by all of these outside forces is because they're terrified of him. They know he is uncontrollable by any of the entities that operate in the swamp in Washington, D.C. And that is what people love about him. He knew from day one they would come after him. I, quite frankly, I don't think any of us knew it would be this vicious or this crazy. But when you see these attacks, when you see these lawsuits, when you see this constant bashing of Donald Trump, the reason is because there are people out there whose lives depend on the swamp being intact. And they know Donald Trump exposed them the first time, and he's going to take it to them the second time. And they can't afford to have that happen. And just to prove your point, which was so well stated, great job there, Lara. All the hoaxes, Russia hoax, Ukraine hoax, two impeachments, now you got this nonsense with Alvin Bragg here in New York, obviously. And then you've got uh, the other thing with E. Jean Carroll, who showed her true colors last week when she wanted more money because Donald Trump had the nerve to call her out on CNN. All these things, and not one, not one of these things have stuck. I don't care about that verdict in the E. Jean Carroll case. She wanted rape. She didn't get it. And that $5 million, she ain't going to see a penny. So all these things out there that your father-in-law's been going through for six years, not one of these things stuck. Is it not obvious at this point, Lara, this is clearly an effort to destroy the man? Clearly. Well, right. And also, let's not forget, Donald Trump doesn't need to do this. Think about what it has ultimately cost him to run for president, to win one time, and now to run again a third time for president of the United States. 
someone who didn't care as much about this country and really only cared about himself would say, it isn't worth it. I don't need the hassle. I don't need the stress. I don't need any of this because he knows if he stops saying he's running for president, if he says, that's it, I'm done. All of this will go away. They will stop attacking him in this way. He never needed to do this. But if you think back to that Oprah interview in the early 90s, Oprah Winfrey famously asked my father-in-law, she said, would you ever run for president of the United States? And he said, only if things got so bad, I felt I had no other choice. We were there in 2015. Gosh, we all can see we are there now. We desperately need somebody back who's going to save this country. He knows he's the only person who can do the job the right way. So he's willing to take the slings and arrows. He's willing to continue to give up so much of his life, so much of his own money, everything he's accomplished in 40 years in the business in in New York City. Here he is laying it all on the table for the American people. I think it's incredible. Me too. And to wrap this up, you know, after an 18-minute conversation that um, me and the president had at the very end, I said, Lara, I said, if I'm putting words in your mouth, Mr. President, then correct me, I go, but I get the feeling as you're running for a third time, I get the feeling that you want this one more than any other. Because I'm not sure he thought he was really going to win back in 2016. I thought he thought he would definitely win in 2020. Now he wants to fix it. It didn't end the right way. And at first he was like, well, let me think about Yes. You're right. He admitted it, Lara. He wants this one more than the other two. I love that, don't you? Oh, and I mean, I think you you see it with him. Look, he he really has, you know, you talk about all the things he has going against him right now. It's more than, than previously any other campaign he had, right? I mean, they came in real hot in 2015 when he announced, but it was very different than now because now there are real implications. These are, you know, real lawsuits and such. It's very different now, but I think he wants it so much for this country because think about how well things were working here in America. Think about his policies and the changes that we saw in this country, but also around the world. You have the Abraham Accord signed. You have meetings with Kim Jong-un of North Korea to denuclearize the Korean Peninsula. We had no new wars under Donald Trump. We had trade deals with Canada, with Mexico, with China. These were major, major things for the future of this country. He wants to get back in there. He wants to do it and do it right for this country. He knows he's got the plan that worked the first time. It will work the second time. And we need somebody to save America. It's Donald Trump, and he knows it in his gut. So, yes, I think he wants this one more than any of the previous two. Um, And I got to tell you, I want it the same, Sid, because I don't think there's any better person to bring this country back and to get us back on track right now than Donald J. Trump. Could not agree more. Another spectacular appearance by the great Larry Trump. This one may have been your best. I think you wanted this one to be your best more than... uh... (laughs) I had to outdo my father-in-law a little bit and try to at least reach his level. You're uh, you're every bit as good as he is, if not better. So thank you and keep coming back because my audience loves it. I love it. And by the way, Lara... I will see you on the golf course in Bedminster next month. Oh, fantastic. Well, we'll see you there. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, come on. Come back in a couple of weeks, okay? You were great. Thank you so much. You got it. All right. The great Lara Trump, another amazing appearance here on Sid and Friends in the morning. And, uh, well, we are um, we're skipping right along here, uh, Lewis. 
tremendous show today. Tremendous, no? Tremendous. You just almost call him Curtis. I almost called him Curtis. That would have been, that you know why? Because Nor- actually made him Norman Seabrook mentioned Curtis Morton this morning. <laughs> and I'm still thinking about Curtis yeah, Morton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Martin a nice... Uh, <laughs> we'll do Gnomes Nuggets. We'll talk to Larry Cudlow. In my neighborhood, that's a disgrazia. Disgrazia. <laughs> and Arthur Idala, all that and more. Keep it right here. Sitting Friends in the Morning on a Wednesday. Friends in the morning. For my friends. 77 WABC. My name is Bo Deedle. I'm a retired New York City homicide detective. I've been in the private investigation business for over 38 years. And right now, I am answering questions about the real housewives of New Jersey. I was never hired by Lou Ruelas for any investigation on any cast members. And I want to set the story straight today. Right now, all over social media, Bo Deedle, Bo Deedle, he had no right to use my name and tell these other people that I did investigations on them. Some of the real work that my firm does is security, armed and unarmed security. We do corporate investigations, we do due diligence, background, litigation support. If you're looking for someone you could trust to help you in investigations or security, you come to Bo Deedle Associates. Springsteen at 8.30. That was a video that Bo Deedle put out on Instagram yesterday. I guess uh, some cast members, Frank Catania, Margaret Josephs, others, that um, you're out there bashing Bo. Oh, he's getting information on all of us. And he's like, no, I'm not. So we put that on Lou, Teresa's husband. In a way, it's just funny. Here, Bo Deedle is like the most respected P.I. cop. Been involved with major, major people. His name is being bandied about with the Real Housewives of New Jersey, which is basically filth television. It's just complete garbage. Complete and utter garbage. I like some of the people, obviously. Frank especially. It's garbage. And a lot of the people on that show are garbage. And here's Bo Deedle in the same sentence, and it's got to be making him crazy. We did talk about Dylan Mulvaney um, with Curtis Sliwa earlier. And uh, the message of the day, Bill O'Reilly's message of the day, which I recommend you folks read every day at BillOReilly.com, talks about incompetence, arrogance, and bad marketing, and talks specifically about Anheuser-Busch and Target, who have lost billions and billions of dollars trying to placate 
transsexuals and homosexuals. And I know today's the last day of May, and I know tomorrow we start Gay Pride Month talking about the World Housewives. They go to a different town in New Jersey every night and raise a gay flag. And I find it to be somewhere between perverse and nauseating. And I'm pro-gay, I'm pro-choice, I'm pro-everything. I'm as liberal as it comes, you know this, with my social views. But I said this before, whether it's Jews, blacks, gays, nobody deserves a month. One day is plenty. You want to have Gay Pride Day? Go for it. Go nuts. You know? But uh, a month of celebrating somebody because of their sexual preference. Well, it's more than that, Sid. You don't get it. People have been persecuted. They kill themselves. Oh, that's true. Some of it's very, very sad. But you don't celebrate somebody based on their color, their sexual preference. I mean, when are we going to stop doing stuff like that? When? When are we going to have hetero month? Right. How about white man hetero month? How about me? I'm I'm a white guy, and I like... Vagina. How about That's celebrate it. me? So they could my wife's vagina. Could have little way. festivals of orgies yes. all around the five bars. Absolutely, that would be why not? Pretty cool. Sure. What about just average dong month? <laughs> I'm sorry. Average <laughs> 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 dong month. You know. I think we've learned a lot about Justin already. Today. Did you yeah. say average dong month? <laughs> Uh, let's go to Noam. Noam do, we, do you know if uh, the Both city council or... <laughs> well, for lack of a better term, you know. No, I know what you're saying. I, right. We've yeah. all figured it out, Justin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I could propose it to the city council. I know the whole process. If I, like. I think it's hilarious. I think it's actually kind of funny. But yeah. but, but the gays also celebrate Don Juan, as you know. We'll march down the street yeah. with big signs. So, yeah. no. It would bring us together. Right. It would right. bring a lot of people you know, together. I, I don't like. I talked to um, what is her name? I love that. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Janae. What's her name? Janae uh, Butler. Yeah, I love her. She's great, right? And um, she's an African American lady, sweetheart. You know, very, very uh, up on what's going on inside her community. And I say to her, I go, "You understand that BET is racist? There's no wet network for whites. You know, anytime you 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 kind of separate yourself from everybody else, I think that's a bad job." What do you mean black entertainment television? What is that? How could we all possibly be equal and get along? You want it that way, but at the same time, you want to celebrate Black History Month. You want your own network. Well, which one is it? Is there something to what I'm saying, Noam, or no? Well, there is this one show on BET that I watch, which is great. What is it? That's yeah. It's What's the name of the it's show? A, I'm embarrassed to say because I, I well, wanted to be. talk to you about the housewives because what about that it? Bo Deedle thing is just huge. I it know. won't go away. Well, that's why he actually went out there and did an in, for Bo Deedle in the middle of the afternoon to do an Instagram video about the real housewives. That tells you that it is absolutely playing a major part in his life the last couple of weeks. If you don't watch the show, which I... Which I, I don't anymore. I, I right. watch every episode. Yeah. So my wife and I are watching it. We don't watch in real time because nobody does that anymore. It was like one in the morning catching up on the episode like a week and a half ago. And the episode ends. You don't even have to watch the show to know what's going on. The episode ends with one of the characters uh, saying that he had investigated all the other members of the House Real Housewives he mentioned, of New Jersey. And he, he mentioned that character. He mentioned Louis Ruelas in the video. He right. married Teresa, who happens to be the biggest star of all... All the housewives. Right. She kicked off the whole thing. She's the real OG. And uh, Louis and Teresa became friendly with Bo and Margot. They had dinners together, did Rayos, blah, blah, blah. 
but never got incredibly close. And yes, that's how the episode ends, like you just said. Yeah, they end. It ends with. I had Bo Deedle investigate all of you, and then the screen goes black. So my wife looks at me, and she goes, you got to text Bo and find out what's going on. I'm like, it's 1 in the morning. She's like, text him anyway. <laughs> yeah. So he comes in blazing the other day. This is off air, by the way. And I'm like, Bo, what's the scoop? Did you investigate everybody on New Real Housewives of New Jersey? And, you know, you get that screaming, yelling Bo live on the air. Yeah. But I had him standing right next to me, and he was like inches away from my face saying, I didn't do it. And he's, you know, he's yeah, he's, he was really mad. He said, I, I didn't investigate any of the housewives. And if I did, I would tell you that I did. Well, they're on social media, but I told them flat out. I said, I talked to Frank Catania. You know, Dolores' ex-husband. He's a good friend of mine. And uh, he doesn't believe him. And Margaret Josephs, married to Joe Beningo, right? She is yelling and screaming. I don't care what Bo Dietl says; he's lying. I know for a fact that he looked into my life, and by the way, caused her, according to Margaret, a lot of issues. So even today, weeks after a Page Six article and Bo Dietl yelling and screaming, I had nothing to do with it. Even today, some of them are saying, "Guess what? Louis a liar, but so is Bo." Hmm. I believe Bo. I think uh, so know, if he I. says he didn't investigate, why, what, he has nothing to lose. It's a stupid TV show. He That's would say, I right. investigated That's them. always the right answer. Yeah, just believe, I believe Bo. Bo. Yeah. I believe oh, but Bo. he made a good point. I mean, if, if Louis Ruelas wanted Bo to investigate all these people, right? Let's say all of them, you know, uh, I don't know, Margaret and Joe Beningo and Frank Catania and probably not Dolores, maybe Jen Aiden, I don't know. It would probably cost upwards of $100,000. It's a lot of legwork. Right. Do you think in a million years Louis is going to give $100,000 to Bo Deedle to look into the life of Margaret Josephs? That's why I believe Bo, more than the fact that he's one of my best friends for 30 years and he's an honest and loyal guy, just look at the numbers. There's no way Louis would pay for something like that. No well, way. But the only thing the only thing you could say is maybe the network would bankroll that because think how much dirt they would get out of yeah. investigating them. That could be a whole maybe, other season yeah. next year, Real Housewives, if they bankrolled it. Well, I know that they've actually stopped filming because of the Melissa and Joe Gorga fight with Teresa and Louis. They didn't go to the wedding. That's her brother. That's how gross that is. So they stopped uh, all filming this summer. They plan on filming again in the fall, but there is a possibility, I don't think a big one, but a possibility that the show may go away. Nobody has been given a new contract for next year. Wow. Nobody. So who knows? What, when Joe was here, by the way, uh, well, it was a couple months ago. Joe Gorga. Yeah. yeah. I, of course, <laughs> I'm like a little boy, you know, all excited to see yeah. him because yeah. I watch the show. Yeah. Yeah. And I asked him, I said, is this all, all this stuff real? Because sometimes, you know, reality shows, they write a script and you follow yeah. it, right? No, it's real. And he said, no. He told me I'd, at that point. He said, I can tell you, I didn't go to the wedding. He's like, right. yeah, I didn't go to the wedding. I have no relationship with my sister. I was no, like, wow. Yeah. Okay. No, it's real. It is ugly. Yeah. It is nasty. And it's not working. Andy Cohen thinks people like that. People are turned off. Nobody wants to see that. It's oh, disgusting. No, I, I've loved every minute of oh, it. Oh, you're an idiot. But I love you. All right, we got to go to uh, Larry Kudlow. Oh, my God. You guys need to go outside once in a while. I, I, I can't even believe what I've just heard. I know. It's like minutes. five minutes. On I the mean, house the dome is gushing. Hey, I listen. Am. I could go another five minutes. <laughs> listen, the facts are the facts. I've had these discussions going back with Bernie and Jill years ago when Dolores and Margaret and these folks would all come on the show. It is 1,000%. A rave and a lot millions of people watch that stuff so it is oh what it God. is millions of people watch all kinds of crap that's Are fine you kidding that, but, that so makes you it good well, okay i'm not saying it's good i'm not <laughs> saying it's good but if it's popular and people are watching it why just act like it doesn't exist that's stupid 
Let's talk about something people don't watch. Let's talk about some of these cable political shows that get half the audience of Real Housewives. Why would I want to do that? I, I wouldn't want to do it either. Right. So <laughs> the point is that these people do have a big audience, big, and people like Noam, in all seriousness, is a very, very bright guy. He's dumb enough to watch it. Well. Exactly. I'm yeah. starting to doubt that now. <laughs> Talk Radio 77 WABC. Entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Not one Republican should vote for this deal. Speaker McCarthy should pull this bad bill down. Don't tell me you're going to put me over a barrel for $4 trillion because you refuse to do your job. You know, I always tell people the reason why I get outrageous ratings. Outrageous. Shut up, Lou. God. It's true, though. I do get outrageous ratings. 7-5-7-1. Is because I'm your everyday guy. I did sports on WFAN in Miami for 20 years. I'm not some brilliant political commentator. I don't try to be Sean Hannity or any of these folks. You know, I'm your everyday guy. But I'm interested in a lot of stuff. Like Bill O'Reilly said, the reason why Sid is great is he's authentic. He cares about a lot of stuff. It's true. Politics, sports, this country, my children, education, movies, all of it. They all interest me. I love all of it. So I can't come on as well as I do and really explain this whole debt ceiling fight. I have no idea what the Republicans are going to get. All I know is it looks like Kevin McCarthy's done a good job because if people like Chip Roy and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates are pissed off, he must have done a good job because they bitch about everything. And the Democrats are mad at Biden. So I say, I got to bring on somebody who could explain this. And who's the man? Who is the man? Whether it's 10 a.m. Saturday mornings on WABC or 4 p.m. weekdays on Fox Business, it's Larry Kudlow. So here he is making a return visit, hopefully going to explain to a lot of folks like me who moved over to the station from WFAN exactly what this debt ceiling fight is all about. And what's that $4 trillion that Chip Roy is talking about? My man, Larry Cudlow. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Sid. How are you, buddy? Not bad for an old guy. Not bad at all. Well, you look great. You don't look old at all. You look great. Your TV show is terrific. I watch it every day. You sound great on the radio. So you heard my uh, little intro there. Help me out. Uh, Help folks that are not knee-deep in it, guys like me who just want to know what's going on, help those folks out about this whole debt ceiling controversy. Well, look, the first point to make is, first of all, uh, the debt ceiling would cause if you let it lapse, it would cause a default in U.S. Treasury bills, U.S. Treasury notes, U.S. Treasury bonds. You can't do that, okay? The credit of the United States has to be perfect. It always has been. Well, but then were you surprised? Were you surprised then, Larry, when when my friend and your friend Donald Trump, who you worked for so admirably well, said with Caitlin Collins on CNN, I'd let it default because the truth is it's going to happen at some point anyway. Well, what Mr. Trump, my former boss, uh, who I love, um, what, what, he, what he actually said was he would use it as a negotiating tool uh, to force spending cuts and other policy changes. And a, a lot of people 
sort of took that phrase, I'd let it default, uh, meaning that he actually would be for a default. He's not for a default. We went through in the Trump administration a couple of times these debt deadlines, if you will, and we never let it default. But this is the important thing. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, Speaker Kevin McCarthy, uh, is leading a Republican and conservative revolution for less spending. We've had this incredible frenzied spending, which has caused the inflation, which is still with us. And that has caused the economy to sink. We're on the cusp of recession. We're hardly growing at all for the last uh, year and a half. So McCarthy turned Joe Biden around, right? Biden said, I want a clean debt bill, no spending cuts. Democrats don't want spending cuts. Republicans do. And McCarthy negotiated and he won, I think, a tremendous victory. It may not be perfect, uh, but the perfect should never be the enemy of the good. And he got, you know, he said he wanted spending next year to be lower than this year. He got it uh, by about $40 billion. He said the next year after that, I want spending to be lower. And he got it. It's actually lower by at least $110 billion. And the Appropriations Committee haven't finished their work. But he achieved his goal. Uh, over six years, it probably cut spending by, I don't know, three, three and a half trillion dollars. And That's is that the key? Money. The bottom line is if you, cu- if you cut the spend, of course it is, three and a half trillion dollars. So the key here, Larry, is if you cut the spending, then you're starting to make real progress in fixing inflation and the economy. So it's a very simple question. What is Chip I mean, Roy and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates bitching about? What's the problem? Well, you know, they wanted more, okay? Uh, and, okay, I wanted more. Everybody wants more. But you got to take first steps. I mean, Newt Gingrich has argued. He was on our show last night. He was on my radio show Saturday. Yep. This is a good first step. You're turning around the Democrats' big government socialist policies. That's what you're doing. And you're starting out. Uh, again, with whatever it's going to be up, one and a half trillion, two trillion dollars over six years. What they've done also is they put caps on future spending. Uh, they're stopping these big omnibus spending bills where nobody knows what's inside it. You know, Nancy Pelosi said we don't, we won't know what's in that bill until we pass it. That's stopped in this bill. Here's another important point. There are big policy changes. OK, people have to go back to work. What we've had is the Democrats under Biden have essentially repealed the work requirements that Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton negotiated 25 years ago on uh, food stamps and on welfare. Uh, They couldn't get Medicaid. okay, and some conservatives are angry at that. But again, you can't get everything. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. It's brick by brick. Right. Step by step. Yep. Now, these work requirements are going to be restored. All right. I think that's terrific. Here's another policy change in the bill. Energy. The Bidens have stopped, waged war and stopped fossil fuels, oil, gas, coal. They've stopped it. Pipelines. So energy energy prices are lower today than they were a year ago, but they're still way too high. You're looking at $3.50 gas. When Donald Trump left uh, Washington, Gas was just over two dollars, 
And people know that electricity bills are too high, utility bills are too high, et cetera, et cetera. So they have in this bill, uh, they changed permitting. Okay, permitting now will be limited to one to two year wait. Okay, not 10 years, but one to two years. Wow. And only one federal agency will be in charge of permit requests. And these are permits, by the way, for renewables and they're permits for fossil fuels. This is a huge change. In fact, Joe Manchin finally got his West Virginia pipeline in this. And that's a good thing. They needed it in those middle states. Huge. That's a huge Uh, thing. Yeah. The last thing I want to say is on Biden has waged war uh, against business across the board. He's waged war with regulatory, uh, you know, executive regulations. Okay. Um, And there's a million of them and it's killed small businesses. Uh, So this bill has a pay go provision. What does that mean? It means if Biden has a regulation that increases the cost on business, and by the way, he slapped about one and a half trillion dollars costs on business. If he has a regulation that increases the cost of businesses, they have to show a decline in other regulations that will lower the cost. So pay goes in. If it's more expensive, it's out. If it's not more expensive, that's fine. Maybe it would slow them down. This is this central planning socialist vision that the government should run the economy. The government should not run the economy. Uh, Then, of course, he clawed back about, I don't know, 25, 30 billion in unused COVID money. And finally, last point, the IRS, nobody wants this IRS $80 billion bill with 87,000 eggs. Nobody wants that. They're going to go after Again, small businesses, they're going to go after waitresses, they're going to go after cab drivers, Uber drivers. It's crazy. Again, another form of government planning and socialism. So they defunded the IRS enforcement for FY24 next year uh, by taking out $1.4 billion from their budget. Now, they want, you know, a lot of conservatives, including myself, I might add, want to stop the IRS completely from their expansion. Well, you can't really do that right now, but what you can do is take away their money for this coming year. That's a terrific first step. And remember, Sid, this stuff, you know, you go, you know, these estimates from the Congressional Budget Office and elsewhere run 10 years. Okay, that's the way that game works. I used to be in that game. I'm not going to bore you with it. But the reality is each Congress sets its own spending laws. Okay, The House has the power of the purse. All money bills come from the House, whether it's taxes or spending. By the way, there are no tax hikes in this bill. None. Zero. Nada. (laughs) So now this thing is only good really for this year and next year. And then the next Congress after that uh, Senate and House hopefully will be Republican. The White House hopefully Republican. They will then set their own spending target. So these are just guidelines. Most important thing is the spending level for uh, this year will be lower than last year. Lower. That has not happened <laughs> in over 10 years. Yeah, yeah. And next year's spending will be lower still. This is what McCarthy pledged. This is what Biden hated. 
and uh, McCarthy won. Wow. Because he hold, he held the cards. I mean, look, this is a Republican and conservative revolution. You're reversing the tide of big government spending, big government regulating, big government taxing. You're reversing that tide. Now you're going to have lower spending and regulating and taxing, better permitting. That means more oil and gas production, uh, no more regulatory overkill. This is a tremendous beginning. It's a first step. The point is Rome was not built right. in a day. Right. And uh, McCarthy is, in my opinion at least, and, then, and I look, these conservatives you mentioned are all friends of mine, every one of them. Uh, the Freedom Caucus, they appear on my show regularly. They're personal friends. I knew them when I was uh, Trump's uh, economic advisor, et cetera. These are good people, not bad people. But again, you've got to have some patience here. And what's going to happen, the majority of the Republican conference will vote for McCarthy's bill because they have confidence in Kevin McCarthy. And they know that this is the new rise of conservative economic policies which over time will increase economic growth and reduce inflation and make interest rates lower than they would otherwise be. The Democrats oppose this. Listen, I was watching this thing over the weekend. I mean, I followed it every night on our show. You know, it's sort of a semi-boring subject, uh, but I followed it every night on our show. So I watched the final negotiations over the weekend. And the deal came up, I don't know, Friday night, Saturday morning. And so I'm watching it. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm up in the Connecticut place. I'm playing tennis. <laughs> I'm going to AA 12-step meetings. I'm <laughs> chilling out. And, and, uh, and then I wasn't sure about this. But then uh, when uh, all the far lefties uh, from the Socialist Caucus, you know, Jaya Powell, whatever her name is, and AOC, and Bernie Sanders, when they started screaming, I knew it was a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> That's a win. That is a win. Let me tell you, I'm so happy that uh, and then Mc- you, yeah. McCarthy called me Sunday morning. You're oh, a did. very dear friend of mine. Yeah. Yes, of yeah. course. We yeah. talk all the time. He called me Sunday morning, and we went through really all the key points that I've just summarized for you. And um, I liked it, okay? And I wrote a column about it. I'm up on uh, uh, Fox Business Digital, and the New York Sun publishes my stuff, blah, blah, blah. And I'm I'm saying, you know, McCarthy is leading a Republican revolution, and he's going to win. All right, said he got through the rules committee last night, and he's, the vote will be the later this afternoon, and it's going to win, and it's going to reverse the left wing tide. That's the key point. It's going to reverse the left yep. wing tide. It ain't perfect, okay? No question about it. And some of my conservative friends want perfection, but this is not the time. You know, you you got to have a turning point someplace. You know, I mean, it's like it's like the Yankees need a good middle reliever. Actually, the Yankees need a good starter. Yeah, they do. Say. Well, they well they gave I'm, one starter 160 million. Just hasn't pitched yet. <laughs> I know we haven't we haven't seen the guy. That's a big problem. <laughs> right. so I'm, I'm I'm just saying, you know, you you need a middle reliever, or you need some good hitters at the bottom of the lineup. Yeah. to change the tide. Yep, that's what McCarthy is doing right now. Love that. And 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 look. Um, Biden uh, was forced to go along. Here's another point I want to make politically. Biden and the Senate, Schumer, and, you know, the New York Times, and the Washington Post, MSNBC, and CNN, none of these left-wing medias took 
uh, McCarthy and the House Republicans seriously. They didn't. And so, you know, first they did pass a budget bill, which was a terrific bill. And that shook all of Washington. That forced Biden to negotiate. And I'm telling you now, you pass this bill on the table, the debt ceiling compromise. I mean, divided government requires compromise. But if you pass this bill, this has Republican footprints all over it. It's a Republican bill. This changes the political center of gravity in Washington, D.C. It says we are the Republican House and we are the new sheriffs in town. <laughs> and that, that is just hugely yeah. important. It is hugely yeah. important. It is. And uh, this is why I'm glad I brought you on today, Larry. You did not a good job, not a great job, an outstanding job of explaining this. There is no doubt it was a Kevin McCarthy win, no doubt. And like you said, in two years, we get the, you know, we keep the House, maybe grow it in numbers. We take the yes. Senate back, we get Trump back, yes. and then we really hit him. Yes. Listen, I did all of this at 8.30 in the morning, which for me is incredible. <laughs> this is the middle of the night for me. No, I mean, this is really important. Well, it's important you, stuff. Do I do this. Well, thank no you. No one else. I don't do this. <laughs> Only for you. 8.30 in the morning. This kid, Justin, calls me up, and he goes, I want you on. I go, huh? i got to reset my alarm clock. Oh, yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. You'll be happy to know, you know, you mentioned the AA 12-step meeting. I'm actually going to speak tomorrow night at a place called Mainstream House, it's on uh, Long Island Riverhead, all the way out. Like uh, you, you talk about a schlep, Larry, like two hours out. But anytime I can uh, give back that 12 step to other folks like us, I'm all too willing to oh, do it. So thank you for that. That's the, that's the, that's the, listen, that's the keystone to my life. Uh, I believe in God and I believe in the 12 steps of alcohol. It's anonymous. It's kept me sober for nearly 28 years, Sid. God bless and you. it's just the greatest thing in the world. You know, anybody who hears this, let me tell you, if I can get straight, you can get yeah. straight because yeah. I was as hopeless as anybody. And ever not was. not just straight, Larry, but man, you become what a great job you did for Trump, and even before that, TV and radio. You're just one of the smartest, uh, smartest and loveliest people I've ever met. You're so important to us. So thank God that's the case. Well, Continued success, and thank you for hopping on. Thank you, Sid. Take care. God bless. You too. God bless you too. That's the great Larry Kudlow, folks. Check him out. What a great show every Saturday from ten to one. And, of course, every weekday, 4 p.m. on Fox Business, you want to know about all this stuff. It's important. It's very important. Nobody better than Larry Kudlow. We will come back with famed defense attorney Artie Idala and more fourth and final hour coming up next. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Friends, how many of us have them? 77 WABC. Who cares? Trivia time. Uh-huh. What movie was it 
when one guy recommended to the other. Easy. I got it already. I don't even know. I put know this song going. on. Yeah. <laughs> Actually got the album wrong and the side wrong. Correct. In I, the movie. Yeah, I don't even know if it was intentional or not. Like, I don't know either. But because the person who did the movie, who makes the movies, is pretty savvy. Pretty savvy. I was surprised they got it wrong. Maybe yeah, they're on purpose. I did. What I movie know. are we looking for here, uh, Justin Ellen? Uh, and, and you know it. I do know it? You know it. I'll give you some of the stars in the movie, okay? okay? Fine, yeah, fine. This is it. One star, he'll get it. Uh, Phoebe Cates. Who's that? Jennifer Jason Lee. Oh, I feel like I would know the faces. Sean Penn. Okay. Penn. Judge oh, Reinhold. <laughs> Forrest like, Whitaker. Yeah, yeah, you it's got to be fast time. Go. Yeah. Fast time. Well, hey, Rat, put on side four. Character? Oh, yeah. Rat. Yeah, right. <laughs> Mark Ratner. Let me let me tell you, Rat. <laughs> whenever possible, when Ratner. making out, <laughs> yeah. put on side one of Led Zeppelin. He said four. side uh, a two. Was it two? He I said never two. remember. But it's still the wrong album. It's still the wrong one. No. I just I just know that he had uh, Blue Oyster Cult tickets, <laughs> and I love Blue Oyster Cult. <laughs> Blue Oyster Cult. <laughs> yeah. I had thirty pair last uh, week. Yeah, right. Where were you? So last week, uh, Louis comes to work one day wearing a shirt. Sean Penn, 2024. Don't worry, I can fix it. Spicoli. Spicoli, right, which is hilarious because after he smacked up (laughs) Forrest Whitaker's car, he said, don't worry, dude. My dad's a TV repairman. He can fix it. He's got an awesome set of tools. (laughs) He can fix it. What a great movie. (laughs) Mr. Hand, you dick! (laughs) That's guy that played uh, my favorite Martian, I think, Roy Walston. Anyway, uh, here he is. But it is my classroom. <laughs> Famous defense attorney, Arthur Idala. Artie, remember that movie? I don't, bro. I was thinking about it, but I don't. I, uh, you know, I'm not as, uh, look, you got this knowledge of things that is a little sick. Between music, movies, and uh, sports, it's like it's like if you're like the rain man of these. Particular no, that's true. Times. That is true. But that was a hugely fast times at Ridgemont High when they no, made I all know. those those Teen Angst movies, Last American Virgin. And you're only a year younger than me. It's our generation, Artie. Well, my mom wouldn't let me watch those things. Oh, I was in lockdown. You, know, you see, that's the difference. Like, Naomi, Naomi let me watch Debbie Does Dallas, and you couldn't even watch Fast Times. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was watching Singing in the Rain and The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> so, see, I want you to, I want to, I want to brag about how well I know myself. You gave me the option yesterday of like, what time to come on? Come on early or come on late? And I was like, well, I have a big sentencing on today. I know myself. And sure enough, I didn't get to bed until almost three o'clock in the morning. Oh my god! You know, I'm still. If there's any reason why I'm a little good at what I do, and and you're in the same boat, and I'm not blowing smoke because. You're always texting me questions and trying to enrich yourself and make your show better. Right. It's because you're passionate about it. And I have a federal sentencing on today for a woman who's a lawyer who's never been in trouble in her life. And um, basically, she's in trouble because she she broke the law by in her zeal to help others stay in this country. And she's a lawyer. She's an immigration lawyer. But, but, you, did say, but you did say she broke the law. She broke the law. Yeah, she pled guilty, and today is her federal sentencing. Well, the sentencing. So today is really the day that matters. In other words, now the yeah. judge decides: yeah. Does the prosecutor want her to go to jail for three years? I don't want her to go to jail at all. So what'll happen today is I'll stand up, and um, you know, first the judge will come in. It's a very, very formal setting. The judge will come in and tell us all what she's read, all of our submissions, and ask if she missed anything. 
and then she'll allow and then she'll talk about what the guideline range is. So it's from like zero to forty two months. So the judge could give her the maximum is forty two months, the minimum is probation. And then she'll give me an opportunity to speak, my client an opportunity to speak, the prosecutor an opportunity to speak, and then your heart is in your throat because mm. then she'll wow. she'll give her reasoning and now this is a mother of two little kids. Mm. Again, she's never been in trouble in her life. She's losing her livelihood. And um, this wasn't really a, a get rich kind of scheme. It was, I was a refugee. I was an immigrant. And I know what it's like. And let me help these people. Yeah. But she, you know, she didn't do it the right way. So I'm, I still get nervous. Uh, I'm still working hard at it. You know, they call it the practice of law because you keep practicing because you never really figure it out. So that's what I was up late doing last night. But then wow. I read this article that you sent me about another trial, which is off the wall. Well, before you get to the trial that I sent you from last night, um, what time is this trial for your client start today? What time is it? It's sentencing, sentencing. It's, 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 it's a husband and wife team. So the husband, husband and wife. Yeah. who did it, who did a lot less in this whole scheme, um, he's getting sentenced at 11 a.m. So i got to be at court at 11. I want to watch him. And then we have a lunch break, and then I go at 2 o'clock. So my question is, while she's facing possible jail time, she broke a crime here. At the very least, does she get disbarred? Does she lose her license? Oh, yeah, 100%. And that's yeah. one of my big arguments. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's already happened. Uh, she shut down her I mean, she shut sucks. down her law practice that she built for oh. 15 years. And think about it. She's just a little younger than – well, actually, I shouldn't say that. She's, she's now 10 years younger than us. But, you know, if all of a sudden you – well, you actually said you've been in a little bit of that position. Like, if you yeah. – well, not at your age. So if you have to recreate yourself at 50 years old Hard. when you've been a lawyer your whole yeah. life and, and, you, and English is your second language, you know, you came here from another country at 15 years old, it, you know, my that's my argument is like – Boy, is this a major punishment. So, you know, it's, it's, you still get butterflies. I've been doing this 31 years, and it doesn't matter. Like, mm-hmm. you care as much as I do. Like, you still get nervous. You still get sure. worked up. Sure. And you, you put everything in. Because tonight, no matter what the outcome is, tonight when I go into bed, I want to be able to put my head on the pillow and fall asleep quickly because – you know, I did everything that I could. Well, do, you know, you, you know, you did. Do. You know, you did. I'm sure your client does. I mean, again, not to blow smoke up your ass, but you know, there's a couple of guys, Joe Takapina, you, couple of guys, and uh, you're there. So, uh, you know, if, if it doesn't go well today, it ain't going to be because of Arthur Idala. I can tell you that. Now, you're about yeah, to go into a story that I, I sent you last night. New York City jury gives new Equinox hire who showed up late 47 times to work. <laughs> Eleven million for race discrimination. I mean, come on, author. Crazy. I mean, I, I read this article, and you know, it it it's scary though, Sid, because it's scary for employers. Like, I'm an employer, and you know, they hold this this over your head now. And and I look, I'm talking to guys in big law firms, you know, with 400 lawyers where they want the young associates to come back and work full-time in the office. They're all still caught up with this COVID nonsense. Oh, I only want to come in two days a week, three days a week. But they're afraid this exact case. Like if they say, well, if you don't come in, you're fired. And they say that to a black woman that they're going to be like, well, well, it was because I'm a black woman and that's why they want me to come in. No, we asked everybody to come in. And you're the only one who's protesting coming back in. So here this woman shows up late. 47 times in 10 months, and they fire her, which, of course, they should fire her. Imagine right. what John Casabatidis would do if you missed 47 <laughs> Please, come on. shows. Come on. So, yeah, and, but the jury came back and said, yeah, well, 
uh, all the supervisors were white. Her immediate supervisor was white. They were men. Uh, someone made a, and not even a supervisor, someone of equal level of her, like equal employment level of her, made some derogatory marks saying, oh, people of color are lazy. But that's not Equinox's, like, they didn't even know about it. Right. But they dropped the hammer, and it's basically an all-white jury. And they dropped the hammer on, they gave a 1.25 for um, her personal pain and suffering, which I don't even know what the hell that was. And then they gave $10 million in punitive damages. <laughs> now, that's going to get knocked down majorly by an appellate court. But it sends a, a, a scary message to people who are employing people uh, about you know how you can treat your employees. I mean, if she was late four times in 10 months, well, that's one thing. 47 yeah. times? I mean, look, I, I can tell you this for a fact. I know companies. I know stations. I know individuals that employ black people, and uh, they're not doing a very good job, and they are scared to death to fire him or her. And they're not doing a good job. They're deserving of getting fired, but they are scared to death of firing that person because of stories like this. If this was a white person, there's no story. And don't think to yourself, and I know you won't go down this road, but I will, that there aren't black people out there every day that know this, take advantage of it, and go, you know what? I got them. Give me a white jury. Used to be O.J. Simpson had to have a black jury. Not anymore. Give me a white jury in New York City. They're going to pander. Yeah. They're going to do whatever I want. Them. So don't think that black people don't know they got you by the balls. And they do. And this story is another example of that. that. I, I think if there was a black jury, like a hardworking black jury, they wouldn't give her anything. They would be like, girl, Get your butt to work. I don't know. What the heck's the matter with you? The white jury feels some kind of guilt or something like that and pandering. Yeah. Yeah. And I would have picked as many African-American people on that jury as possible because yeah. I think they they would hold her to a higher standard. Well, it depends. Than the white- well, it depends. If, you, if, you, if they were hardworking professionals, yes. But we have no guarantee that's going to be professionals. the case. I don't, I don't want a hardworking professional. They're all cut up in a woke BS, too. I'm looking for a Con Edison worker. Right. I'm looking for a, a postman, right. a guy who's out there when it's 100 degrees in the summer and zero degrees in the winter, busting their butt, and they're going to look at this girl and say, you're late 47 times <laughs> to go over to one of the nicest gyms on the planet Earth, Equinox, we're talking about. Why are you late to go to Equinox? What's the matter with you? I mean, come on. Well, things are out of control. I do want to, because I heard your segment yesterday with Murano uh, about CUNY Law School, which is my law school. I was very happy last night. When I read, uh, actually it was live when I was on the radio, that CUNY, the CUNY, the institution, not the law school, the whole thing, Bill Thompson, Billy Thompson, who's the president, they condemned it. They said this is hate speech and this will not be tolerated. Not good enough. Not good enough. Not good enough. You want to condemn it? Go out today and take the dean of the CUNY Law School. I've said this 10 times on today's show. Take the dean of the CUNY Law School. This, her name is Suda Seti, and she stood there and applauded. I was on the search committee. Fire her. Sid, you want to talk about craziness of of the people who we interviewed on the search committee? She was the most conservative. (laughs) She was the one who was furthest to the right. So you could imagine. The people who the other people who are in consideration, but yeah, I listen. Definitely, something has to happen. That was horrible. You, you know, our mutual friend, the mayor of the city of New York. I texted him the day after the graduation. I said, I said, Mayor, I'm so embarrassed by my alma mater, the way they treated you at the commencement speech. Right. And he wrote me right back. He goes, Listen, 
in this job, some people are going to hate you. Yeah. Some people are going to love you. You just got to roll with the punches. Yeah, but it's different. He's about but, right, he's like that. But it's one thing if it's a policy thing. But they started booing him when he mentioned the fact he was a cop for 22 years. That's when it all started. Then they turned their backs on him because they hate the police, which, of course, is in the same exact spirit as this girl Muhammad's speech. So Adams, yeah, it's one thing if you don't like his migrant policy, blah, 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 his subway, the crime. This was, we hate you because you're a cop. That's why they turned their back and booed Eric Adams. This lady, Seti, needs to be fired today. You want to really set, you really want to, you get tough. This is not going to be, we're not going to have this. It's not going to happen. She applauded. If she sat there, didn't say a word, that's one thing, okay? She stood and applauded. Like this girl found a great speech. Fire Seti today. Okay, there you go. You have it from Sid Rosenberg. Well, I'm at least glad that the brainiacs in CUNY Central, where they distribute all the money, that they look, Sid, that was not easy for them to come down and condemn this because they're all full of the woke people as yeah, well. Yeah. And for them to say this is not tolerated, this is, you know, that's putting SETI in a real, real hot, hot water. And I'm, look, I'm just happy that they did it because you're going to be a lawyer. You know, these. I know. Look, I know they're young people, and we excuse young people for their idiot moves that you and I both made when we were very young. But this young person went up there and said such stupid things. The NYPD fascist police, and and you know, obviously all the stuff she said about Israel. I mean, you know, someone's got to sit down with this. Apparently, she gave a a, a uh, draft of the speech that was supposed to be four minutes to SETI and who approved it, and then she went on for thirteen minutes. Mm. So, you know, yeah. you got to have to you have to see exactly how she clearly went off script. Yeah. But it's you know, not a, not a good day for the city of New York. Not a good day for my alma mater, even though some great lawyers came out of CUNY. Law <laughs> not myself excluded. Myself right. Excluded. No, no. You are the very top. Uh, and again, four point three billion in taxpayer money goes to the CUNY system, which I did graduate from. Like you, I graduated from Baruch in 1992, a fine school, the UCLA of the East, University in the corner of Lexington Avenue. But this is, uh, this is, this is not well, did okay. Did you go to a couple of schools before Baruch? Wasn't like Kingsborough involved or something like that? <laughs> yeah, it was Miami first, then Brooklyn College. Then I got my associate's degree at Kingsborough Community College. And the same year, eight years after I left high school, four colleges later, 1992, I graduated from Baruch. And married Danielle. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But you forgot to mention you graduated with a master's degree and a PhD after all those eight years. <laughs> you left that part out. Yeah, I should have. You're right. Hey, man, listen, uh, good luck to you this uh, this morning at 11 and this afternoon at 2. Again, uh, I know what a great lawyer you are. I'm sure your client knows that, too. So best of luck to you, and thanks again for another great appearance. You are awesome, Artie. Thank you so much. All right, so have a great one, buddy. You too. Good luck to you. Author Idala, famed defense attorney. We got uh, the game to play later, but I got to tell you a story. Audie is great. I love Audie. Of a TV show that I uh, I watched last night. It was absolutely riveting. I'll get to that. We'll take a uh, quick break. More of Sid and Friends in the morning. This show was, I couldn't shut it off. I'll tell you all about it coming up next. Friends in the morning, 77 WABC.
Ah, the great Andrea Bocelli, folks, 77 WABC radio listeners. I've seen him, saw him last year, went backstage. I loved it. As I told you yesterday, him and his nine-year-old daughter did hallelujah together. I cried. 77 WABC radio listeners, get ready for a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that'll leave you speechless. I'm giving you a chance right now to win a pair of tickets to witness the magic of globally renowned Italian tenor Andrea Bocelli live at Madison Square Garden on December the 13th and 14th as he graces us with his enchanting holiday tour 2023. Picture yourself in the heart of the Big Apple, surrounded by the mesmerizing melodies of Andrea Bocelli's angelic voice as he fills the iconic Madison Square Garden with his soul-stirring performance. This is a concert, folks, you're not going to want to miss. And right now you can win. Be caller number 7 at 800-848-9222. And a pair of tickets is yours. Caller number 7, 800-848-9222. Of course, if you don't win, you can still buy tickets. Ticketmaster or visit msg.com. And don't forget, coming up at 4 o'clock this afternoon, my friend uh, Bo Snurdly, a.k.a. James Golden, also giving away a pair of tickets. What a show, Bocelli, man. He is. He's so good. So this uh, show I've been watching on TV, I'm addicted to the ID channel. I love that channel. Talked about this for years, even with Bernard. God rest his soul. And uh, they've got this special on, and it's called The Curious Life or Curious Mystery of Natalia. So I'll make it quick for you. So... This couple adopts this little girl. They've got three boys. They live in Florida. And they always wanted a girl. So they adopt this little girl, who I believe uh, was from the Ukraine. I think they knew that. And they got it from another family. This girl had come to America, been adopted. But for whatever reason, the family she was living with didn't want her anymore. And put her up for adoption. And this family adopts her. Okay? So she's supposed to be six years old. She looks six. She's a little kid, you know. And uh, she gets to the new family, and everything's great. The three brothers love her. The mom and dad love her. They're so happy. There's a sister. There's a daughter. It's all good. And they decide they're going to celebrate by going to Disney. So after a full day at the park, Lou and Justin, hot out there, they're sweating, the mother decides, I'm going to bathe my newly adopted six-year-old daughter in a bathtub. And she puts the kid in the bathtub, and she starts screaming to her husband, Michael. Michael, come here. you got to see this. Come here. And it turns out she had pubic hair, full-grown pubic hair at six years old. So the husband goes on a computer and goes, how young, what's the youngest, basically, a girl can be? Because he didn't want to believe there was something wrong here. And the computer said, eight years old is usually the youngest. This girl's six. Then, not long after that, she's on the floor, and the mother finds behind her panties soiled with blood because she had a period. Now, she's six. So now they're going, okay, wait a second, wait a second. There's something going on here. So the long of it is, is that only 34,000 people in the world, or in the, I think in the world, have this disease where she's, you know, a, a small person, Midget, whatever you want to call him, I don't care, dwarf. So she's the size of a six-year-old, but she's like 20. And her face, she has the facial structure of a 20-year-old, so it's really weird. Really weird. And as if that's enough, 
That's not enough, I should say. This little person with this very, very rare disease turns out to be murderous. She tries to kill the whole family. Justin, am I lying here? No. No, you're not lying. No, he, just, he, just burst, <laughs> he just burst out screaming laughing. That's... She tries to kill. Now, she's like three feet eight, but supposedly she has this immense strength. Of course, she does everything with her arms because she can't walk. She's had foot problems, surgeries. She's a little person. So everything she does with her arms. So she has like like Chucky the doll, like immense strength. Oh, so this is like right out of a horror. A horror yeah, this like, is like the orphan and Chucky she, and combined. She's like crawling down the hallway yeah. like really fast. But it, but it, right, but it's a real person. It's a real story. Yeah, Stephen King went on vacation. Saying, <laughs> I can't believe I didn't think of this thing from Massachusetts. They had, to go, Maine, I mean. they had to go all the way back to the Ukraine to find out this this person's real parents. Well, they did make a movie. So I would assume that the movie called The Orphan, which is a fictional horror movie, has to be based on this, on this story. But I don't know. But what is it? What is the condition called? What I don't, I can't pronounce it. It's I, a I medical mean, condition. There is a, but other. It's like 34,000 people around the world. It's, it's, it's like the rarest disease you could have. Right, where it's still a lot. Where your body, you're like five years old, but your face ages. So she had a best friend, for example, who was also six. The six-year-old, her friend, looked like a baby. She looked like she was 20 because she was 20. She was lying. She had a period, had pubic hair. She was 20. Shouldn't laugh, maybe. Well, I Bro, well, I thought I did laugh a little bit, which I feel somewhat guilty about so, now. Not right, very about, guilty. about 2%. Then, she, feel. then she's like walking down the kitchen with a knife looking to kill everybody. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, this is one of those old 80s horror things. But it's a true story, bro. I, I know, but it sounds They exactly... put on a mental institution in, in Indiana, and then she's hitting on all the, uh, you know, the guys, and the guys are into her. She's like three foot eight. She's got a rare disease, the body of a four-year-old, although not, you know, she's got breasts, and she, you know, uh, menstruates and all that stuff. It's really, the, the, the movie is, this, I don't know if you've seen any parts of it, but she hits on the dad of the movie. She tries to seduce the dad. I do remember that, yeah. Well, in this case, she didn't hit on the dad. She tried to kill the father. (laughs) The adopted father, but she does hit on everybody else. Well, it's just complete madness. (laughs) What is the name of this? It's the Curious Case. What is it? Uh, The Curious Case of... uh, Natalia. Yeah. You have to watch it (laughs) on the ID channel. You can stop watching for two seconds. Mom, stop watching Fox News for two seconds. It's not that great, okay? What is Lewis, Lewis... What did you say before? She should uh, go out with Benjamin Button. (laughs) (laughs) That'll turn it back a little bit. In a small town in the Northeast, (laughs) one town can hide many secrets. (laughs) But here are the two biggest ones. Next week starts an incredible story of a murdering (laughs) child who's also an old woman. (laughs) That's exactly right, believe it or not. We're going to play the game next. Sid's Take brought to you by our dear friend Pete Morgan, the fine folks at Peerless Boy. Very good, Lou. Check them out today, peerlessboilers.com, paviliontankless.com. They do build the world's best-built boilers, 1-800-848-9222. Now, it's time for Sid's Take. Sid's Take! Sid's Take, yeah! Good luck. It's Sid's Take. Sponsored by Peerless Boilers and Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters on 77 WABC. It's about that time. Your Wednesday morning hump day edition of the Peerless Boilers. It's Take Trivia Game. Sponsored again by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com. 
PavilionTankless.com. Let's find a dealer near you. They are the world's best-built boilers. Today, our contestant for the game, which came first Wednesday, is our alliteration today. John is out in Hartsdale. John, what's going on, bud? How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Okay, thank you. Were you uh, Were you at um, uh, from, I guess I should say, in Hartsdale? My grandparents uh, used to live there. Oh, really? Uh, right off Central Avenue, okay. near the, uh, the Animal Cemetery. Gotcha. I have no idea where that is. All right, are you ready for the game? <laughs> Yes, sir. You liar, liar, Alec. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. I have no idea. I used to live right there. <laughs> oh, very great. Yeah. Anyway, uh, okay, here we go, John. Which came first Wednesday? I'll give you two events. you got to tell me which came first, okay? Yes, sir. All right, number one. The Korean War or the Vietnam War? Korean War. Oh, very good. Spectacular. <laughs> one for one, John. I couldn't find my game. Well, he was listening in social studies, Lewis. Apparently you weren't. I couldn't find the damn sheet. Sorry. <laughs> I've only got like 80 things here. On to number two, Johnny. John Wayne's first Oscar or Dustin Hoffman's first Oscar? John Wayne's first Oscar. Very good. <laughs> two for two. On to number three. Volleyball. Or basketball? Volleyball. There you go. No, he was wrong. I just, that was me. What, what was <laughs> that? <laughs> okay. You can't talk to me anymore today. That's all. That's yeah, it. He, he was totally wrong. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right, this is something you printed out for yeah. all of us, you yeah. see? Something I'm staring right, right at. at. Oh, that's, oh, that's right, yeah. yeah. Sometimes I do make sounds You're just thinking about that are incorrect. Hey, it's yeah. over. Yeah, it's <laughs> okay, great. 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock. Congratulations. All right, two for three, John. Back on track here for number four. Hopefully we'll all get back on track sometime soon. American astronauts first land on the moon, or Pink Floyd releases their album, Dark Side of the Moon. Ooh. Mm. Hey, boy. Mm. What? Pink Floyd. Oh. Loser! We landed on the moon in 1969. Dark Side of the Moon came out in 1973. Mm -hmm. okay. And here we go. On to number five. Two for four. Multiple choice here on number five, John. Which of these Oscar-winning actors was born first? Is it A, Denzel Washington, B, Sean Penn, C, Daniel Day-Lewis, or D, Jeremy Irons? Uh, Lewis or Irons? Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh. Loser! The correct answer there. Jeremy Irons. Is, uh, Get the big guy in here. He's on his way. We'll keep you on hold here, John from Hartsdale. What did he go? Two for five? He went one, two. Yeah, he got the last three. The last three he got wrong. Man. Started hot, yeah. ended not Which so one is hot. this? Which came first Wednesday? Yeah, I'm bad at this. Yeah, but it's okay. Maybe you'll be good today. I have to find uh, matzo ball soup for Ava, so. You didn't find it? Well, Sarge's is a good one. That's on 36th and 3rd. Yeah. Catches is a little further than that, I think. Well, right? you don't want to go all the way down to Catches. I don't want to go that's anywhere. On, that's on, I don't uh, want to go anywhere. Well, but, I mean, but your, your two options are Second Avenue Deli and, no, and Sarge's. I think Second Avenue Deli is 29th and, and first. Second. No, it's not. It's in between second First Avenue and Deli, Second. I think it's on First Avenue. It's in between First and all Second. Right. It's not on I want the, the close. It's matzo ball soup. Give me a break. Uh, well, I know, but you know, yeah. you got to kind of go. <laughs> it's closer. You can probably get it at the uh, uh, Murray Hill Diner. Yeah, that's not that close either, though. 
Okay. Like, it's not terrible. Well, I, I, I don't know what you want. You want, you want it right downstairs? Uh, I, 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 yeah, I want it downstairs. <laughs> yeah, just, somebody deliver it. Like, yeah. Get on the train yeah. somewhere. It doesn't work. All right, let's go. All right, here we go. Which came first? The Korean War or the Vietnam War? Oh, that's easy. Korean. Very nice. One for one. Yeah. One to number two. John Wayne's first Oscar or Dustin Hoffman's first Oscar? You're trying to trick me because uh-huh. uh-huh. I'm going to go with Dustin Hoffman. Oh, and you'd be wrong. I knew it was Wayne. I knew it. You're trying to trick me. And I tried tri- to double, double trick you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, come on. Yeah, you knew that I knew that I knew yeah. that you knew. Yeah. Dude, uh-huh. I can two. fix it, dude. <laughs> One for two. <laughs> On to number three. Volleyball or basketball? Wow. Mm-hmm. Volleyball or basketball? Mm. See, I know that uh, Naismith created basketball. I couldn't even tell you. It was a Gabriel Reese. I'm going to go with uh, basketballs. Very good. Basketball, 1892. Volleyball, 1895. Oh, yeah. I had John Wayne, too. Good. That's okay. American astronauts first land on the moon, or Pink Floyd releases their album Dark Side of the Moon. (laughs) They're both in the 60s. Mm, Nope. Uh, Righty then. (laughs) The first man to walk on the moon? Was that Neil Armstrong or uh, John Glenn or who was that? John Wayne. Uh, I'm going to go with Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd. Uh, 69 compared to 71 or something? 73. Oh, 73. Okay. I hate Roger Waters, too. Well, you're one for... uh, You're two for four. You're two for four. Yeah. Under number five. And an attempt to win today's game, Sydney. Which of these Oscar winners, uh, Oscar winning actors, I should say, was born first? It's multiple choice. Is it A, Denzel Washington, B, Sean Penn, C, Daniel Day Lewis, or D, Jeremy Irons? What is this? Which of these Oscar winning act- actors was born first? Is it A, Denzel Washington, B, Sean Penn, C, Daniel Day Lewis, or D, Jeremy Irons? D, Jeremy Irons. Very nicely done, Sydney. So you are today's winner. Five. You get absolutely nothing as your prize. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, thank you. Thank you to uh, John and Hartsdale for playing. Should have gotten four out of five. Either way, it was fun. Excellent uh, job writing it, Justin. Excellent job hosting it, Justin. We will come back and wrap up what's been a great Wednesday show right after these words. It's Sid's Take, sponsored by Fearless Boilers and Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters on 77 WABC. 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. We started the show with Never Surrender, Corey Hart. Today is Corey Hart's 61st birthday. And that led to a whole discussion about this song, which Lou loves. (laughs) You love this song. You were so excited, and I wasn't (laughs) getting it. Well, how come you don't love this song? You found found (laughs) some information. You came back running into me. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with Corey Hart. (laughs) I had already seen it. Yeah. Okay, great. You knew you're like, oh, it's his birthday today. I was going to tell you at some point. This is also after you did, like, Matt. You were doing, like, long division in there. I was, (laughs) yeah. I had no idea what you were doing. 
Like 81 minus 52 or so. What is what is what is what? So how, long, how old is he, Alec? Tell me. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So when you're 61, never surrender on this one. Sunglasses at night. I call him the great Corey Hart. Lou's like, the what? The great Corey Two songs, too. Fine. Two more than we've got. We're going to find more tomorrow. Oh, no, we're not. Oh, yeah. no, no. No, tomorrow will be somebody else. Probably Tomorrow's not. Marilyn Monroe's birthday. Oh, thank you for your time. Yes. Love Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, we didn't. So yeah. we're done for today. It was a monster show. It really was. Norman Seabrook, Curtis Sliwa, Peter King, Lara Trump, Larry Kudlow, Artie Idala. All stop by. Big show tomorrow. Bill O'Reilly Thursday. Bo Dito's going to be here. Judge Napolitano. Got a whole bunch of good stuff going on tomorrow. Don't forget, 4 p.m. tomorrow afternoon. I'll be on with Craig Carton and Evan Roberts, WFAN. And uh, Friday night in the 7 p.m. hour, I'll be back with Jesse Waters. Jesse Waters, primetime on Fox News. That will end today's version of Sid and Friends in the morning. God willing, as my cab driver Gene says, we'll all be back again tomorrow morning at 6. So for my whole great crew, Lou Rafino. Justin Ellick and Norm Layden until Thursday at 6 from all of us to all of you.